Welcome to episode 20 of the Bit Beacon broadcast. It's February 5th, 2024, uh, and this is a as of yet untitled episode of the Bit Beacon broadcast. Yep, episode 20. I'm here, Kodax, and we've also got... I'm Ravenheart. Ravenheart, and nobody in the third chair. Nope. No. It's just the two of us. Just the two of us. Um, we're going to start off with a little bit of show and tell with our uh, what have we been buying, what have we been playing, and I'm going to talk two games that I picked up in the last week. First, I'll start off with one that I haven't played yet, but I did purchase, uh, and it is Atelier, 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 Atelier Riza Three. Uh, some might also call it Atelier Thiza Three. You check out that illustration yeah, right. on the cover. Wow, they're like glinting. Yeah, do you see that? Yeah, I see. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, I mean, beautiful illustration on the cover, but uh, yeah, that's that's some chicken wings right there. I have always liked the art style. Oh, me too. Yeah. yeah, they they usually pick an artist that does three games, mm-hmm. and then for the next set of three games, they find a new artist that kind of does the visual identity for those three games. But they all do sort of share somewhat of a similar identity, but they do have a slightly different look to each of the trilogies. Can I see the screenshots? Yeah, go for it. Um, I I know the one that I played, Atelier Iris, Mm -hmm. is a isometric, like, um, RPG, but it's like isometric isometric view. Okay. I'm just looking to see if this... These days, they're more like like third-person over-the-shoulder kind of adventure rpg exploration i like that old style yeah. but you know yeah um they do they do throw it back in some ways but yeah they i think they remade one of the classic atelier games last year i have it for switch i remember i talked about it on the podcast i think it was atelier marie oh right um and that was more of like the top down kind of okay. isometric sort of view Gotcha. Um, but, uh, so yeah, maybe they'll remake more of their classic games in addition to making the new ones. A little quick backstory on sure. one installment in that franchise. Um, it's the one for Dreamcast. There's one for Dreamcast, and when it released, if you put the disc in a Windows system, mm-hmm. you'll download a virus that will break oh, your PC. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> they shipped it with a virus on it. Some some dev thought they were being cheeky, I, I, or someone at the the manufacturing yeah. level may have done something too. I think it was an accident, or something. Yeah. I don't know what. How does how does a virus uh, accidentally yeah. get on yeah. the? I don't know. I'm sure like modern antivirus software could handle it, but mm-hmm. back then, yeah, it would have like really messed you up. Okay. Oh yeah, today I'm sure nothing would happen. Yeah, yeah. Right. but back then it was like. Open season, right? You know, there were no protections, no Windows Defender. I can't remember what title that was. I don't okay. have that series memorized so well. Um, so for Atelier Riza, I played the first one on Switch, and then I picked up the second one on Switch as well, which I have not gotten around to yet. Um, but I have been playing more and more on my ps5 thanks to the playstation portal mm-hmm. so i was kind of like oh you know what maybe i'll it's pretty nice isn't yeah it? it is it's been nice and i don't know like i've i don't want to say see i hate i hate and love trophies right yeah oh yeah 
Um, Same. Like, I think they're fun, but I think they're also annoying because it gets to a point where sometimes you get so focused on the trophies Mm -hmm. that they become a distraction from just enjoying the game. I feel like they become a distraction and they also detract, you know, from the actual you know, game, in-game achievements and stuff like sure. that. Sure. I mean, I think some games, like, they make use of, like, in-game achievements tied to the, like, right. PlayStation achievements. Th- that's true, but, like, not all Platinums involve completing the game, you know? Oh, okay, so you're so saying, you, like, you might Platinum a game, but you're not actually You're 100%. not incentivized anymore. It, like, takes the incentive away to oh, complete a game, you know, within okay. just the game itself. Right. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I mean, I can see there's some... So, okay, if you had it your way and you were designing trophies for a game, which you may be doing at some point in the future... soon. um, More on that in a minute. um, (laughs) Would you you only want to give a platinum trophy to a player who has 100%ed your game? So, philosophically, yes. Okay. But realistically probably not okay yeah i think it would be maybe a poor choice to like restrict it to only like the leadest and greatest of players right i would like to incentivize completing the game 100 percent in some other way right um but i guess it depends on how hard it is to 100 percent right that's game that's true um and there's a big difference between seraphim and final fantasy sure something yeah Um, so enough about Atelier Ryza, but yeah, so now I need to track down Ryza 2, Mm because now I want to play it on my PS5. It only released for PS4, and it's pretty much out of print right now. Mm -hmm. Um, supposedly there might be another reprinting of the PS4 copy coming to that Canadian retailer I mentioned previously, Mm -hmm. Video Games Plus. Right, right. Um, so I'm, I'll be keeping an eye out for when and if that happens this year. Hopefully it does. Is it expensive right now? Yeah, if you want a used copy of Ryza 2, mm-hmm. it's, like, full-priced. Okay. So, and I know that when Video Games Plus has sold it off and on over the last year or two, they've had it for, like, I think 40 or 50 bucks sealed. Right. So, I mean, I'd prefer to buy it that way. Right. Um, but if it comes down to it, I might consider, uh, you know, going an alternative route. But, yeah, I don't know, $60 for an open game? Mm-hmm. That, that's a little tough for me to swallow. You can just buy it digitally. You can, and it's actually on sale for $30 right now. Almost tempting. Yeah. Um, I but I would rather put that $30 towards a physical copy. Right. Yeah. Um, it's worth noting that the games, these Atelier games, hold their value pretty darn well. Oh, yeah. The ones on PS2 and stuff go for more than... Yeah. These niche for. series, they, they have a pretty tight control on how many physical copies they print. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes for... Uh, other series like the legend of heroes uh, like the trails of cold steel oh yeah the trails games yeah i mean the, tales i mean oh tales is another thing altogether yeah. um but uh, yeah some of those can be pretty like yeah like they they really don't print that many and they have a lot of hardcore collectors so you don't see that many copies on the aftermarket to begin with right and when you do they're like full priced used copies or even more expensive used I think this happens a lot with uh, Japanese franchises that are very limited, and people discovered it decades later. Yeah, and, and they want to go back right. and play them all. Yeah, but I mean, these are like relatively new. So the reason I I jumped on Rise of Three is because 
It was $40 brand new sealed. And I was like, you know what? In a year, you probably won't be able to find this game for $40, let alone $60. So I was like, I'm just going to jump on it now so I have it when I'm ready to play it. Right. Because, yeah, I do want to get back to Rise of 2 at some point. And with my Portal, it's like the perfect thing to play it on. It's just kind of a cozy game, you know? It's not like super intense, crazy action. Right. Um, Which is what I have been playing lately. Real quick, last question. Is that one turn-based? Because I believe the one I Yes. Yeah, they are turn-based. It's got like an ATB kind of system, action time battle system. So, um, you know, there are inputs. There's like speed factors. So like, you know, there's like a little line. You see the characters kind of like going up and down and when it gets their turn to attack. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is, it is turn-based, but it does have, I think there's some act, there's like some timing elements to it to like increase the strength of your attack. So it's not totally passive where you can just like let the, like just let, it's not Pokemon where you can just set your Game Boy down and come back to it 10 minutes later. Right. But it's like stuff will have happened. Sounds like it's mechanics iterating on turn-based JRPG battles. Yeah. That's good. Um... And so what I have been playing this past week, and what I did pick up, was a Grand Blue Fantasy Relink for the PlayStation 5, and uh, a local mom and pop shop that we both know of happened to get some copies early. Mm. So I flew over on my lunch break and grabbed the Deluxe Edition, uh, which is a, a succinctly sized package. Comes with some little bonuses. Um... The game, of course, which is something I was excited, the most, the thing I was most excited about getting, uh, a soundtrack. I don't know if it's one disc or two discs, but it looks like two. It looks like it could be two. Um, but the music in this game is God tier. Like, oh, it's glorious. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to rip that open, rip it and, uh, put that on my phone and listen to it. Is that a download code? What's that? Um, This was, it's like the pre-order, like the early day one bonus thing. Or or this is, no, no, this is the deluxe edition. It has a serial number on the back. It does, which has already been redeemed. Okay. So, but thankfully the listeners at home can't see it. Right. If it wasn't. Right. Um, (laughs) But I guess you could. Um, So it comes with a... A bonus sword that you can't acquire in the game. Okay. Um, but it is kind of like a sword that's really only good for, like, the first half of the game, and then it kind of gets lapped by the... Lost Odyssey did that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I still have, like, unscratched serial cards. Oh. Yeah. Well, they probably won't redeem anymore. I doubt it, but... but did you redeem one for your account, yeah. Oh, of course. Okay, good. Um, came with some starter items... Nothing that's honestly that important in like mm-hmm. the late game that where I'm at at this point, and some alternate color packs for your character so you can like swap out like the cool. yeah. So are those exclusive too, or is it? Yes. Oh. Uh, so there is like a digital upgrade that you can net you these items if you purchase just the standard copy and you like get really into the game and you want to get this stuff. Okay. Um, but keep in mind if you like if you made it to the end of the game and you're interested in this deluxe pack. The fault the the special weapon, which looks awesome, and there's like a transmog thing, so you can make your weapon look like oh, okay. whatever weapon you know. So you could use it, but it's only good for one specific character, the main character. Right. Um. And then the starter item pack. It's if you're at the end game, it doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. like it's yeah. great to ha- it's, it's like it's a nice bonus when you're starting like the game. Potions and stuff. Yeah, but it's like no use to you at this point. Um, but the color packs are like the thing that might be of interest to people. 
And it just provides mm-hmm. alternate color schemes for all the 16-plus characters in the game. Cool. Um, and so there's that. And then it comes with an art book. This is basically the perfect, like... Collectors. Yeah, this is like my ideal one. Right. Like, it's got the game. It's got the sound, a physical soundtrack, not a download kind right. of soundtrack. And an art book. And then it comes with some, like, little mini postcard size prints, um, which I have yet to open. Uh, that's got some of like the key artwork that was made for the game. Mm-hmm. Onto the game itself, I have put since Wednesday. I've dumped like forty hours into wow. this game. Yeah, I kind of no lifed it this weekend. Uh, I mean, it was rainy, yeah. you know. So I was that like, you know, sense. why not? Um, Who developed this again? This is by Psy Games, specifically their Osaka team, um, and it was. Uh, directed by a former Platinum Games person. Okay. Because uh, I mentioned previously, originally it was a partnership between Platinum Games and Psy Games to create this game. Then there was some kind of split. Platinum went their separate ways. Psy oh, Games yeah, went their we separate ways. This, right. But people from Platinum jumped ship over to Psy Games to get the game over the finish line. And I think I re-looked it up. It was announced in 2017 and just now coming out. Yeah. Wow. In 2024. Wow. So it's had kind of a tumultuous development, but it's it's a perfect game. Yeah. Like, I love it. I mean, okay, not perfect. Gameplay-wise, it's incredible. And, like, just so satisfying. The sheer amount of characters in the game that mm-hmm. all play completely differently from one another. It's like, imagine if there was a Bayonetta game. It's not quite as intricate as a Bayonetta game with the, the amount of combos a single yeah. character can right. do. But, like... Like, there's 16, 17, 18 characters yeah. that all have, like, their own unique moveset. Like, that's kind of crazy and unheard of. That's a lot. Like, almost fighting game-esque. Yeah. With that's the a roster. lot of design and a lot of different... Yeah, like, a fighting game, the whole entire game is just the characters, right? And right. then you just have different backdrops that the characters are essentially set in. Basically. But the majority of the development... More recent fighting games have interactive environments. Sure, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I still feel like the emphasis on more than anything is that whereas like uh uh like something like bayonetta obviously the character is really important but there's just one to develop here there's 16 it makes sense why the game took so long to make but and they're just crazy set pieces Mm -hmm. awesome moments where you're like controlling like giant mech things and shooting cannons on the sides of airships and huge massive dragons and all kinds of things sounds like a cool game uh the story itself is very good versus bad kind of ho-hum yeah. it's not really gonna like challenge you to think too critically i find that to be a common thing in these kinds of games yeah like jrpgs and stuff even last story as much as i love Mistwalker, that one felt that way yeah yeah it was like twists were the most predictable thing yeah. you could ever imagine. <laughs> it's like the guy that looks like he's probably bad <laughs> right. is bad. Right. Um, yeah, but, it, I mean, like, that's... The, the hooded character is the princess, <laughs> right. you know, hiding I mean, herself. that game is, scarily enough, like, 15-plus years old yeah. at this point. It, it's super impressive for yeah. the hardware and the time it was yeah. released. Um, but this game, I mean, obviously this game is a... You know, started publicly was announced in 2017. So who knows how long it was in development oh, prior to then, even. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, this game practically took a decade, for all we know, to come to fruition. Yeah, 
crazy. But, you know, this game is essentially funded because of a mobile slash PC browser game. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's... I've heard from people who play the mobile PC browser game that, like, to see it realized, like, that world, those characters, mm-hmm. and this crazy, you know, 3D environment is, like... It's, like, so delightful for them. Yeah. Like, it's, like, a just a wonderful day. Um, but it, this is not, like, an open-world game. This is, like, a you have a hub, and you go out on story missions, come back to the town. I like that format. Yeah. Um, That's so, a very Final Fantasy-type zero. Yeah. I, I, I'm i partial to it, too. The story, the main story before the credits roll takes about 20 hours or so to get to. Mm. But then there's, like, a really big end game and additional story stuff if you want to go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it that part reminds me immensely of Monster Hunter, okay. where you go out on these quests... Uh, except instead of like having a big environment where you go and kind of track down the monster and chase it around the map as it like runs away from you, yeah. you're just kind of thrown into these arenas for the most part where it's like, boom, you're in the yeah. boss fight now. Yeah. And uh, it's satisfying. The, the encounters are really incredible, bombastic, um, not quite on the level of like Final Fantasy 16's uh, Titan boss, mm-hmm. but I mean, some stuff not too far off from that. Um, and this is where the sort of cooperative, optional cooperative online element comes into play, where you can play with other people online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been enjoying doing that. A friend of mine, uh, the one who showed us VR for the first time, oh, yeah, yeah. he's been playing too, so I've been spending time with him online playing the game together. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, I'm having fun grinding, making my character stronger, reading about all the, like, min maxing you know Mm -hmm. like character build stuff online because is is it the kind of game where you can max everything out or is it the kind of game where you have to pick and choose and there's no perfect character no you can i mean the amount of time possibly needed to accomplish that yeah is probably in the maybe over a thousand hours okay um because it is a game where like Monster Hunter, you start to need a little bit of luck. Like, oh, this monster you fight, or this boss, it has like a 2% chance to drop this item you need to craft your next yeah. weapon upgrade or something right, like right. that. So you got to do like a lot of grinding against the boss, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the boss encounters are so fun yeah. that it's like, you really don't mind it because you're having a great time playing the game as you try to go for that drop. Right now, I'm, I've been doing this one boss, and I've probably done it like 15 times in a row now, and it is not dropping its hoof. Oh. that I need. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of annoying me, but I'm still having a good time playing. Um, and I'm kind of eager for us to finish this episode so I can get back. But yeah, right. Not that I'm going to rush through the episode or anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's Grand Blue Fantasy. If you like Monster Hunter, uh, I highly recommend this game. It doesn't start off feeling like Monster Hunter, but by the time you're at the end game, if you like uh, that kind of, you know, grinding bosses and leveling up and increasing your like talents and constantly like expanding like you can keep like there's all these like oh you can plus one your weapon you can unlock like additional like tiers so the weapons can keep leveling up and this is reminding me a lot of a game that i played on vita ragnarok odyssey which is based on the mmo ragnarok right and it but they specifically want went for like a monster hunter-esque approach with that game on vita oh Yeah. yeah And it was great. Yeah. I love that game. I picked that game up too, not knowing what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. And it came out pretty early on in the Vita's life. I don't know. I think you borrowed my copy to play that. 
No, I bought it. You bought it yourself? Oh, okay. Um, But yeah, I remember playing it when when we lived together. Mm -hmm. And uh, it kind of turned me off because I wasn't really into Monster Hunter style games yet at that point. Yeah. Um, now I should probably revisit that game. I like game. collecting the cards. That's that right. It had that drop. card yeah. thing. That yeah. was like its gimmick. You could equip cards and stuff. But everything else is basically what you just explained. Yeah. Um, that was a good game. I'll play that again. Um, so I haven't been playing much. I've only had time to be playing Pokemon Go. But before you scoff at that, um, <laughs> I... Uh, I've been doing a lot of legendary raids. Okay. Um, cause I'm really trying to go for shiny legendaries. Yeah. Uh, See, this is the thing that's going to bite me in the butt. Right. Cause I'm not doing any of these like legendary raids. Yeah. And it's getting to the point where that's like all I need now is mm-hmm. shiny legendaries right. for my living shiny decks. I'm looking into the future and seeing legendary shinies being the most intimidating right. part of the collection. Yeah. Because um, if you're not there for the distribution, how do you get... And you they know? don't all get distributed shiny, right. too. Right. Um, so this week, I got a shiny Therian Thunderous. Oh, man. Shiny Therian Landorus. Oh, man. And a shiny Latios. Oh, man. Yeah. So I'm, I'm <laughs> going hard. Dang, man. <laughs> that's like... Yeah. Now, if I ha- can I ask how much this has cost you? Uh... Well, I leave Pokemon and gyms every day, uh-huh. so I get the 50 every day. Right. So what, one week worth to get, like, the... the... So it takes one week to get one remote raid pass. No, to get, like, three remote raid passes. How much is a pack of three remote raid passes? Wait a minute. Um, well, 550 if you're buying them like that, but if you're buying them in any kind of box, they're usually less. The remote passes come in boxes? Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but anyways, I I don't know. Okay. If I end up throwing five bucks at... I've talked about this before. Like, I'm not into microtransactions or digital goods, except for Pokemon Go. Right. That's my one exception. That's... I mean, just, I just hear stories of people, like, just remote raid pass after remote, yeah. remote raid pass. I mean, I know they put a limit on that. So yeah. you can only do how many remote raids only, a day? You can only have... You can't buy any after you have three in your inventory, right. but you can hold up to five because okay. they're in packs of three. Right. If you have two and you buy a pack of three. Sometimes you get them from like a seven-day research bonus, too, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, very rarely. Yeah, I think that's them. happened like once um, to me. Yeah. But I have a, like 91 friends in Pokemon Go. Oh, so you get invited to stuff yeah, constantly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, See, I usually... Don't bother. When someone sends me a remote raid, I usually ignore it. Mm-hmm. So it's like people stop inviting yeah, me right. to the remote raids. I wish you were able to like put a tagline or something on your character, like looking for yeah, this, looking yeah. for that. Yeah, um, like a yeah. little comment, right? Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, so that's my haul for the week. I've also got some other shinies I didn't have. Dang, uh, picked up a shiny Ekans, shiny Scraggy, shiny Cottony. Um, you know, there is a problem with shiny legendaries from Pokemon Go. Yeah, that they can't be brought in. They can't be transferred into the the retail, the main series games, mm-hmm. unless you already have that Pokemon shiny from, like, a retail game, essentially. Right, right. So, uh, that to me is, like, kind of frustrating. It's I don't understand of, that limitation at all. Yeah, it's kind of crappy that they did that. 
Um, I kind of hope maybe at some point in the future, like with more generations of Pokemon games, they'll sort of just relax that rule. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense to me. I wish they would just get away, go like get rid of the delineation. Like the little go symbol? Yeah. Like, why even... If it's a Pokemon, just let it be a Pokemon. Yeah. Like, why is it lesser? Just because right. it was caught and go. If anything, there's an argument to be made that it's better because there's no way it's, like, hacked or gotten through. Uh, I mean, yeah, someone, someone could hack a Pokemon and add that yeah. that go symbol to the Pokemon's that's, profile. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, I could see one argument being that the odds of finding a shiny full odds mm-hmm. in like the main series games is much, much, much lower mm-hmm. there than it is in Pokemon Go. It's like one out of eight thousand there, like one out of three hundred. It's fi- like five hundred something. But I and I get your point that the odds are less. But when you're running around Scarlet and Violet, you can encounter thirty Pokemon in one second. Versus, right. Right. Pokemon, which is just yeah, one. I guarantee at a time. you, time wise. It takes longer and go to find a shiny out of the blue. I think if you're doing legendaries, though, that's not the case. Oh, no, no. Yeah. That's the lowest rating rates that Pokemon has ever had yeah. for shinies. Because shinies, typically, when you're doing legendaries, you save in front of the legendary Pokemon, and mm-hmm. you just reset your game over and yeah, over and again. it's like full odds. And go into the encounter over and over again until it's shiny. Right. And like Rick just said... Full odds, meaning no shiny charm to yeah. cut the rate in half, no other bonuses. You're trying to get that Pokemon at one out of eight thousand some odd chance. I think it's one in four thousand still. I it hasn't been oh, eight thousand. Yeah, it's like eight thousand from like I think the DS days. Gold and silver. Uh, no, I know for sure Gen three. Oh was no, like, you're right. Yeah. I think it was Gen six that cut it in half. You're right. I think it was X and Y. Okay. Um. So yeah, like I have been. It's been a minute since I've been working on it, but I was trying to get a shiny Arceus and Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Yeah. And I got up to like a thousand some odd attempts, still no shiny. Yeah. I did the math where it was like, if I'm doing it for an hour straight, I can do like 40 some resets. Mm -hmm. So I would just like do it. I would just like, okay, I'd I'd done it for two hours while I was watching TV or something. So I just logged, okay, I did like 90 90 attempts that round. Right. It's cool that you're counting though. Well, yeah, I think, because I want to know. And it's like, you know what will be painful, though, is when I get to, like, 4,000-something. Yeah. And it still hasn't come up. Yeah. That's when you're, like, readying the shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, that's that's aggravating. Yeah. Because it's all dumb chance. It's Yeah, completely. And, and you're blowing hours. And, and then what you do is you go, and you go on YouTube, and you go look at, like, Shiny Arceus, or, you know, Shining Portal, and then you see people's reaction to yeah. it. It's like, oh, it happened at... You know, number 250, yeah. they got it, like, super early, yeah. you know? And it's like, oh. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, that's aggravating. Yeah. And, like, for whatever reason, with Arceus, it doesn't do the shine animation. Because Arceus has a special intro animation. Mm-hmm. And Arceus's color is, like, pea yellow. His shiny color. Mm-hmm. And he's all... So it's, like... But it's a very, like, light yellow yeah so it's almost whitish which okay. looks like rcs already does so you gotta really know yeah so if you're like sometimes i was doing it while i was walking outside on my lunch break or something i'd just be walking and resetting mm-hmm. and like with the sun glare i'm like wait a second you know yeah. did i just close my game on a shiny rcs <laughs> right 
Yeah, that kind of stinks. Yeah, so uh, it's not for the faint of heart. No. No. Still the only way to get Shiny Arceus, though. Yeah, only has just become available with, with in, in 2022 is when it first became available. Mm-hmm. It's never been available Shiny prior. That's crazy. There was one time during, I think it was the Diamond and Pearl era or the Black and White era, where they had this online Pokemon hub. I think it was like Pokemon Dream Oh, Center. that was Black and White. Yeah. It was a... Separate app on the eShop, too. No, no, that's Dream Radar. Dream Radar that's yeah. Dream Radar. But there was, like, a website you could go to, and you could link your game to it, and you could get Pokemon through the website that had their hidden ability. Oh, okay. But they also did this thing, I think it was as part of that, I could be wrong, where they let players vote on any one Pokemon that would be distributed shiny. And, like, there were no restrictions. It could be any Pokemon. Okay? Yeah. So it's like, I remember, who do you, well, first of all, who do you think won? Oh, geez. If you had to guess, come on. Uh, Kiram? No. It was Mewtwo. Oh. And Mewtwo has already been distributed I, I, I thought about that. Yeah. And I'm like, no, people aren't that dumb. No, but yeah, because the general public was involved, people yeah. were that dumb. Yeah, okay. So, of course, Mewtwo is selected and distributed, which is cool. You know, I'm not uh, complaining, Yeah, but, but like, because I don't think I had a shiny Mewtwo at the time. I think it was only Victini like, to this day has not been released. Yeah, I mean, it's a matter of time before Pokemon Go gives shiny yeah, Victini yeah. Um, as like, you know, a fest or whatever. Um, well, we'll see. But I yeah, mean, I remember seeing people online being like, Arceus, we need to vote. Like people were trying to like campaign people, yeah. like pick Arceus. Yeah. That's crazy to think that we could have got Arceus yeah. back then, but instead we got something that's not shiny locked and totally obtainable, yeah, right. you know? <laughs> and distributed many times. Yeah, like especially since then as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, that, so That's dumb. Yeah, I wish people picked Arceus back in whatever it was, 2010 or something like that. Uh, <laughs> all right, you ready to move on? Yeah, let's move on. Okay, so as I described last or i guess announced last week uh this episode is episode 20 and i will be debuting my weekly update segment for seraphim so i'll be talking about my development process um for the week uh on my game seraphim right and you can if you don't know what that is you can refer to um my twitter handle which is uh at ravenheartrex yeah I mean, let's get, briefly give a little backstory. Sure. So I started Seraphim on May 10th, 2014. And it was originally intended to be like an an arcade shooter that was kind of an infinite runner format. Where you just play till you die. And hopefully one day there'd be a leaderboard. Right. That for me was a big... Developing a leaderboard was like a big undertaking right. in my mind. Um, and that was the format of the game, and we did. I did release that uh, on iOS and Android, mm-hmm. and got someone to help me with implementing ads, and released it that way. Um, later on, we met with Limited Run, and I think we've talked about this meeting before. Um, we mentioned it, I at think. E three, we met with them multiple times, three times, I think. Well, prior to the meeting with Limited Run, you did also release the game. 
on oh, PlayStation yeah, Mobile. Oh, yeah, I skipped that part. So it it also released on PlayStation Mobile in 2015. Uh, so Specifically the Vita version of PlayStation Mobile. Correct. Is there a different version of PlayStation PlayStation Mobile, Mobile was also available on phones. Right, but it doesn't access the same store? No, you had to have an APK version of... Uh... Well, I did submit an APK, though. Um, I, I don't, I mean, you submitted, like, an APK for, like, the Google Store, uh, but, like, there was, like, a separate Sony yeah, you know App what? Store. It was, like, .psm or something. That I would, do remember that. Okay. Yeah, I can check. I still have the file. Um, that's besides the point. That's besides the point. It launched on PlayStation Mobile, which was the closest thing to launching on any console I've ever gotten. I mean, the game has a page on GameFAQs. It does. As yeah. being a PlayStation Vita game. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. That's pretty legitimizing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I, did, I have screenshots saved on my Vita. I still have it on my Vita. It still plays yeah. on my Vita. I mean, like, store sh- screenshots, oh, yeah. you know, of the icon. And oh, stuff. yeah. Um, so, after that, we met with Limited Run, and we, at that point, were considering doing a Vita native launch of the game. We met with Limited Run, um, and it was kind of determined from the meeting that the game needed to be built out into multiple levels and actually be like... There needed more meat on the bones yeah. to sell this as like a retail product. It needed more of a scope. Yeah. So I kind of just figured I would turn that infinite level into multiple levels and kind of keep the same format going... Maybe introduce, uh, that's when I started implementing the power-ups into the game to kind of give variety, and those could be introduced, like, um, progressively throughout the game. Um, so, from there, I, uh, that was like the second transformation of Seraphim. So, it went from this infinite runner to that. Then, uh, the landscape started shifting... I did start working on the game on Vita hardware. Uh, and You got dev kits and everything. Dev kits, uh, test kits. Um, it got to the point where I was implementing so much into the game that I was starting to realize the way that I had everything set up in the scene from the beginning was going to be an issue. Um, where everything's just in exists in the scene on load and that was not the way that it needed to be the vita couldn't they just can't handle it like that the loading screen was taking like 10 minutes yeah literally 10 minutes um and so but to fix that like code needs to be reprogrammed like it's going to be missing stuff if i just load it in you know it's going to be like where's this yeah so that wouldn't work you know that's that's a big re-engineering process and that's still today where I'm at. But um, I did pitch it to East Asia Soft at one point, And they came back telling me that they loved the art style, which is what everyone has always said. I've never yeah. gotten criticism about the art no. style. Um, but they said that the game is basically too bland. There's not you know, anything, any kind of progression going on. Uh, so that, like caused me to do this deep dive analysis into the game 
that led me to implementing certain other things, different player abilities, using the four face buttons, yeah. which I got three of them done. Um, there's still a fourth one that is this big thing that's going to require a little bit more work, uh, as well as uh, different shot types and all this other stuff that I want. And I designed gameplay to like include those things. Uh, so that's like a third kind of transformation of the game. Okay. So it's so gone. So you're telling me that that trans. So this is kind of news to me a little bit, and I'm not trying to interrupt <laughs> yeah, you. I just have a question. Yeah. Um. So I mean, when we met with Limited Run, yeah. Um. They basically said, "Hey, this game needs more meat to it." Yeah. But like the levels and systems were never built out when you had sent it to East Asia Soft, right? Oh yeah, that was. They had the map scene and everything was in there. So like you could select different levels? Yeah. There were only like six levels selectable, but okay. yeah. Okay. And they pl- they had unique playable Yeah, so at this point it was uh different enemies. Okay. You know, and pa- Really, I think, okay, enemies were always randomized, but I think I had the power-ups spawning at different times, okay. and certain power-ups in only in certain levels, and okay. stuff like that. gotcha. I was trying to do that. Alright, so there were no, like, objective, you know, do oh, this, Oh, no, this the, each one did have a stage objective at that point. Really? And yeah. East Asia Soft, that wasn't compelling to them? I don't... I gotta go back okay. and look if if that stuff was in there already okay. or not. Because um, I mean, to me, the, I wasn't aware that the game ever got to that point. The stage, well, the stage objectives are in the game okay. and have been for years. I mean, I remember a long time ago when we came back from that very first limited run meeting, we like brainstormed like what would that look like, you know? Right? Yeah, um, you're right. But I don't, I don't remember. I mean, I know you kind of. At one point during development, you were like, I don't want to show you anything until I've got something big to show you. Yeah. Now. Well, it just looks unimpressive, and you're like, Where, what is this? Where are you going with this? Until it's done. And right. Then, you know. But, um, yeah, the powers were definitely in the game at that point. I'm not sure if stage objectives were, were done. I want to say yeah, because I did, that was like initially... Like, how I was going to do multiple levels. Right. That was part of, like, Transformation 2. Okay. Uh, Design-wise. Okay. Um, now, before the project... Before you stopped development, there was one last push you had. Yes. When news of the PlayStation Vita store closing. Right. And this um, is all... If you wanted... If you're listening and you wanted to, like, see the history of what we're about to talk about... You can just go to the Twitter. It's all there. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, it's like preserved. Yeah. <laughs> or the X account. The X account. X, yeah. <laughs> Formerly known as Twitter. Um, but so it was announced that, you know, PlayStation Vita was going to get sunsetted and a development date or submission date was given by SIE, Sony Interactive Entertainment. And they, um, you know, the, the heat was on. Right. pressure was on and uh you and i talked about like what can be done to make it work we talked about an arcade edition seraphim arcade edition yeah um which would have been a was a great idea yeah i'll never forget when the title hit me yeah oh yeah it was yeah you did have a good idea with that. <laughs> um i'll take credit for that um and what ended up happening long story short 
I got kind of mixed information. Part of it was my fault, but there were a lot of people that didn't know, yeah. you know, the answers and stuff that I needed. And it, I, yeah, I just, I couldn't get it working. I couldn't get it connecting to the things it needed to connect to. Well, we, you thought that the submission date was one thing. Mm-hmm. Or that hit had already passed, and in reality, you had, like, more time, right? Yeah, so I was hearing about an extension right. that I, you know, of course, I wanted to believe in that. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I did get mixed information about the actual date. Right. I uh, mean, the, seemingly, I mean, there was, like, stu- rumors online. Also, at this time, too, um, there, I, I don't know how much of this I can say, but there was a transformation from one submission portal to a different right. submission portal that was like a general transition that everything was going through at that time right it just happened to align with right. you know that so i was trying to submit through the old means right and you needed to submit through the new means right i don't want wasn't s- communicated yeah that you shouldn't use the old one that you would think for the old thing it wouldn't be on the new thing right yeah i mean i at the end of the day, I have to accept responsibility because you, you can't fix something that's not in your control. Right. And if you're responsible, then that means it is in your control. Sure. But, you know, I could have been more on top of newsletters. I could have been more on top of emails and tech notes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I'm one man. I'm yeah. trying to make a game, trying to work a damn day job at yeah. the same time. Uh, so it just got to be too much to stay on top of like yeah. the news and stuff like that. I'm sure I missed something. Right. But, I mean, the way that all played out dramatically in real yeah, time was... in those last couple of weeks. I mean, the Vita community was, like, rallying around yeah. you. It like... was... It was the, so, the Vita community, um, specifically the Vita Island members, right. um, was kind of how they identified themselves. Uh, it got down to the point where there were 12 games in development in the final weeks leading up to right. the date. And so everybody knew the 12. Yeah, the 12. There were there were images with like <laughs> screenshots of all 12 of them yeah. going around Twitter um and yeah, that was exciting. It was cool. I mean, I remember seeing like notable members of like the Vita fan community like talking mm-hmm. about your game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you got Sandeep you have Britta, uh, aka Food for Dog, or Food for Dogs. I think that's what her name is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. I mean, like it was, it was like surreal. Yeah, it was like a little bit of a roller coaster. It was, it was pretty. Yeah, um, it, it sucked having to go to work. Yeah, every day because I could be working on it. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so ultimately, with, ultimately, I didn't. Launch. We didn't make you didn't yeah, make the cut. I didn't make the cut. Yeah. So. It is a canceled, or I guess canceled by default, Vita title. So the Arcade Edition, that's not coming out. The full game is what's going to come out ultimately, right? I might do a a title in the future with that title. Oh, okay, gotcha. But it won't be that. It won't be what it originally was going to be. Okay. So, yeah. So the game features an arcade mode as well as the main campaign. And we were just going to try to release that and call it Seraphim Arcade Edition. Right. Uh, so basically, <clears throat> an expanded offering of what originally launched on PlayStation Mobile. In right. A way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. With all the new mechanics working yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Because um, the version on PlayStation Mobile was 
fairly bare bones. Some of the power-ups were there. Mm, no. No? Uh, it was just enemies, and you had your super meter with that super thing. Yeah. That, the attack, okay. which is still in the game. Oh, okay. But it, now it's one of the... I swore some of the power-ups were in the mobile. Like, like two or, like, three or four of them. I don't think so. I know. No. Oh, okay. No. All right. All right. It's... You probably have played those on Vita. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, when you've shown me um, your dead yeah, kid stuff. But the uh, PlayStation Mobile version, even looking back at it, it uh, you could tell I was using a different tune shader at the time. Mm. It looks more plasticky, right. not not the same as it does now. Um, but yeah, it was just shooting. Oh, and, yeah. I got a fun story for you. I booted up my Kindle Fire. Like, first-generation Kindle Fire, Amazon's Android tablet. Oh, you have the mobile version? Yeah, I have, like, the, like, the, I think, like, the test build that you, like, one of the test builds you sent to me. Oh, yeah. And, anyway, I was able to play it on the... Were there ads in it? No, 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 no. Okay. This was, like, before, because it's not linked to the Google Play Store, so... Okay. Yeah. Oh, we natively put it on that device. Yeah, like, uh, you gave me the APK and I sideloaded it. Gotcha. Um, so anyways, that's a bit of the backstory. Um, there's a lot of stuff that happened in between, a lot of ups and downs, personal hardships that resulted as me, you know, had it came as a result of me just focusing entirely on this and nothing else. Yeah. You know, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of things that I didn't know to do that I should have known to do. And just because this is my first game, didn't. Um, and things like that. Um, I'll write a book someday. <laughs> um, anyway, so the, what I want to do with this segment, uh, is read every week, read, um, a selected entry into my development diary. So I am now coming back to Seraphim from a basically two year hiatus of not touching it following what happened with Vita. Um, so when, uh, remind me, was that 2021 or 2022? It was, so I officially stopped touching the game on July 9th, 2021. Wow. So two and a half years ago, they yeah. closed off yeah. Vita development. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll let you go now. Okay. So, uh, Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Uh, today I am officially ending my Seraphim development hiatus which began on 7-9-2021, due primarily to uh, debilitating burnout and disappointment from my inability to have any version of the game ready for release on PlayStation Vita by the SIE release uh, deadline. Excuse me. The last task I was handling pre-hiatus was modularizing the game's intro cutscenes for each of the four worlds within the gameplay scene, uh, beginning with the first, which features the opening credits. The resources.load call for the opening credits textures within the first cutscene was not loading the diffuse textures for any of the opening credits objects. Um, I recall having spent two or three work sessions trying to get it working. After reopening the project, I spent some time uh, reviewing the issue and attempting new ideas to fix it. Ultimately, I switched my focus to remaking every old ellipsoid particle emitter within the cutscene as a new shuriken particle system. So that's what I did on my first day back. Okay. Was uh, 
remembering where I left off. Right. Trying to fix it again. So this dev diary is something you've been working on this whole time, right? Oh, yeah. This dev diary goes back to 2020. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I think May 2020. Okay. I think I... Yeah, I started it on May 10th, 2020, because it was the anniversary. Okay, so it's got to be helpful to have that to yeah. go back to oh, know yeah. what you were doing. Oh, yeah. Especially after a two-year break. And, um, it... Well, I did remember where I left off, because I was having such a damn oh, hard time okay. with it. But, uh, so what, what's going on here is, um... In modularizing everything so that, like I talked about, with everything being in the scene, on load, not going to work. Everything needs to be modular so the gameplay scene loads with basically just a skybox in it, which will load, you know, really quick. Like, lickety-split, yeah. Um, And then spawn in or instantiate objects as needed and destroy, destroy out when... You know, they don't need to be in memory any longer. Uh, That's kind of... And that's how games work. Right. I just... So, like, am I saying... So, like, let's say you're playing a third-person game. The Mm -hmm. camera is behind the character, and you're seeing everything in kind of like a a triangular perspective around the character, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Everything to the sides of the character that is off-screen and behind you is not being... It's not present in the game, right? So if it's like a a big environment, you have what's called an a, a culling a, or occlusion. Wait, was occlusion mask? Okay. Yeah, an occlusion mask is basically like a a circular region within where things are rendered, and okay. anything outside the occlusion mask, the renderer gets turned off. Okay. At what point they get booted from memory, I'm, okay. I'm not sure, and I'm sure it depends So this is working me. differently than that. Yes. Okay. What you're thinking about, or what you probably see in, like, Scarlet and Violet, with things in the distance becoming more, like, uh, lower poly. Right. Uh, lower frames on animation. That's lower, called, like, LOD, right? It's called, um, no, those are MIP maps. The textures, at least, are MIP maps. Okay. LOD is called level of detail. And yes, it is that to an extent. But that involves lighting and shadows, for the most part. Okay, I mean, like, I know games like Genshin Impact also have this problem, where, like, from the LOD is kind of bad at times, where, it, like, it, like, really pops mm-hmm. in. Like, you'll be, like, gliding above an area, and then all of a sudden the trees will go from these really low-poly things to these, like, yeah. super detail-looking trees, and so, it's, like, distracting. So they're probably using an LOD system that, because uh, that's Unity, yeah. that game. Um, they're probably using an LOD system that they paid for, and it probably doesn't account for gliding very well. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't designed for gliding. I mean, not just gliding, but even, like, just, like, walk, seeing things from afar. Like, right. they... they I think it's like almost like they pop in too late right. directly. You know? Shaders will do this, and LOD is mostly shader-based. Yeah. Uh, it's also lighting-based. This is a distraction, though, from yeah, the conversation. Right, right. But um, I, even with tune shading, you see weird anomalies with like the tune outline and stuff like mm. that, and even in Seraphim. Um, I have to make sure that all of my geometry is closed and everything's welded. Like, there's no opening within the polygons like you know edges aren't bare uh otherwise the tune shader and the outline won't know what to do with that Mm. and you'll see weird stuff going on okay um but yeah so yeah um so you said here that you started to work on the old issue yeah 
but then you switched gears. I switched gears just because this is okay. The resources dot load. Um, so resources is a class and load is a method. And what it does, it allows you to load like it's an asset, like a texture from disk. Right. So what I'm doing here in the opening credits, I'm accounting for multiple languages. So I have my ENG little thing, you know, if, if the language option is set to English, you know, folder name, ENG slash, you know, and the asset name. Okay. So I'm getting the opening credits in the language that they need to be loaded from disk and put on the object. Okay. As opposed to having all this, like, sitting in the right. game scene. Right. Um, so that's how I'm doing it, is resources.load. Now, I've had resources.load work before just fine. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, in this instance, and I, I like, I've checked my line of code so many times, it's crazy. I don't know why it's not loading. My file names are right. My file hierarchy okay. is right. So it's a matter of you kind of just getting frustrated with that? Yeah. And switching to something yeah. more artistic? I'm just, I'm just, yeah, beating at the screen and nothing's okay. happening. So, Do you... Obvious, so it sounds like you're at like kind of an impasse with this particular issue. This happens a lot, though. Oh, okay. You know, this is not like the first impasse I've crossed, <laughs> you know, um... Yeah, it's basically what ends up happening with bugs and stuff like that, mostly with bugs. You have to become a detective and figure out all the things that could be affecting this. And some days you get it. Like, some days you just... Sometimes you stumble on it by accident. Sometimes you fix it while working on something else. Okay. Uh, and some days you just can't figure it out. Okay. And uh, other days you wake up and come back to it and you, you do figure it out. So when that happens, you you can either waste hours or you can do move, something more yeah, move on and do okay. something else. Okay. Um, so it's still related to the same thing I'm trying to do. Okay. It's uh, just another part of it. Gotcha. Yeah. So that is my return to game development after two and a half years. So I'm, I'm excited for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good. Uh, this, I think this segment's terrific. I'm looking forward to next week's update. Cool. Me too. I think you've got the next story, or our first news story here. Yeah, so let's start the news. Um, this is kind of old news. It's from January. Um, but GDC uh, released their 12th annual uh, State of the Game Industry Report. Which now Who's GDC? GDC Game Developer Conference. Right. Um, and they did this in, you know, connection with some other agencies, one called Game Developer and o o o Omdia or something like that. Okay. They're like social science okay. agency or something. I think, I, think, I think GDC might be run by Game Developer. Okay. I'm not 100% certain on that. Yeah. Um, that but yeah, be. GDC is like the premier developer conference. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the world? I would say so. Yeah. And it's in San... It's in this Bay Area. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's San Francisco. It might be in the city. Um, ticket prices to get in Ooh. are... Yeah, they're they're high because what the people they're expecting to show up to this are actual professionals in the industry. They're not looking for gamers. Yeah, I feel like the barrier of entry, especially if you're an indie, right. is kind of high. 
Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you would have to... I mean, we're talking multiple thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's... I think there is a relatively affordable pass. They have, a like, a tier list of different... Yeah. But if you want to go to any of the developer talks, mm-hmm. you got to pony up for, like, the big ticket. Yeah. If you just want to go to the exhibit hall, I think it's, like, $1,000. Right. But if you want to go to all of the developer conferences, or the, you know, there's then there's, like, fancy dinners right. and award shows. And, it's very much an industry event. Yeah. It's not... It's not for the public. Yeah, it's not at all. You, like, this is the kind of thing your company would pay for for you to go to. Yeah. But if you're a solo dev or small company, you might only send... One representative or no one at all. Right. Um, until, like, you have a few games out, yeah. at least. Um, so, what they're, so they do this annual report, which is awesome. Like, it, the amount of information that we glean from this is crazy to think about. They say verbatim in the report that they sample 3,000 game developers, or 3,000 game developers were surveyed. Now, I don't know if that means... 3,000 companies, I'm thinking that's what that means. Um, I try to look for clarification on that, um, but I, I couldn't. I think it is 3,000 companies, though. 3,000? No way. There's not 3,000... Not every com- single person within the company, but I think that... I don't know. See, the questions are geared toward individuals, so... But it's 3,000 game developers. I, I, to me, that reads as individuals. Like individuals. Okay. I think that's more likely with the, the number being 3,000. Because a game developer is a company that makes games. You know? Right. I, I see that. I think, I think maybe if they were like... I mean, it might be that they had one company do 100 people. But usually when you have like social science data, mm-hmm. you want to get a wide swath. Right. Like they probably randomly selected from all the members of the GDC, you know, family right. and sent out 3,000 of these surveys or maybe more surveys because not everyone's going to reply to it or spend the time to right. take the survey. Right. So that way you have a good overall picture because if you just, you, you could you could get 3,000 responses from just Blizzard. Right. You of know, course, so yeah. it's like then you're getting a very one-sided yeah, that, view of things. Yeah, that would be not at all representative like this information is useless then so um we're gonna assume that these are individuals and uh they are across the game industry though Um, specifically north america did they say it actually doesn't specify but i think so probably north america um so uh i'm gonna go through the questions i picked the questions out of this report based on the ones i think actually affect gamers and the ones that are related to things we've talked about in the past. Um, There were a lot more questions. But um, so just going through some of them here, how many years, if any, uh, have you been involved in game development? Six to ten years got 22%. Okay. And three to five years got 21%. Those were the top top answers. Okay. So So I I didn't put all the answers because there were like ten... But oh, okay. the, the ones really relevant are six to ten years. So were, was there more, would you say, there was more ab- over ten years? Or uh, below three to five years? Because, yeah, we're only looking at 40% of the data here now. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> I could pull up the report if necessary, but no, it went up from there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you would say the majority of developers... Are six to ten years. Or, or no, are ten plus 
Well, no, they're within six to ten. Well, twenty-two percent are within six to ten. Right. But that's the highest. Right. But I realize there's more categories, right? Mm-hmm. But ten plus could be ten to twenty, twenty to thirty, thirty to forty. Yeah, it doesn't say ten plus though. It says. I know, but if we're gonna we're gonna combine all that data down into ten plus. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, but that's not what we're looking at. Like what, I know, but what I'm trying to find out here, <laughs> I'm not sure why you didn't include all the numbers. Um, is why is like are there more people above ten years? Or more people below 6 to 10 years? That's the question I'm asking you, based mm-hmm. on what you saw when you looked at the data. Oh, yeah, it's above. Like, it goes up from there. Right, I know. But we only have 40% of the voters, the people surveyed, represented right. with this data here. Yeah. So I'm wondering, are the other I'm 60... just looking at the top answers. That's all, like, I, we're not trying to put a pie graph together. Okay. I'm just trying to, well, like... Well, I'm curious... Are, is most of the industry younger in the industry? Because from this data, I don't know that. I can't tell if like most of the industry has been in the industry a long time, right. or if most of the industry is new to the industry. Okay, we'll come back to that. I'll pull it up later. Okay. Um, what best describe, describes your job role? The top answer was game design with 34%. Okay. Um, Runners-up were programming and engineering, got 33%, and production and team management got 31%. 31%. Everyone else was like way less. I mean, yeah, this is almost 100%. Here. Right. This is useful. Right. <laughs> so my question is, is okay, what do you think, when someone describes themselves as being a game designer, mm-hmm. is, what is that? Is that I an think, idea? The, okay, I actually kind of lament how some of these terms get thrown around. Yeah. I feel that way. I guess I've always felt that way, but no one's ever like, con- <laughs> you know, affirmed that I'm thinking straight okay but I, like yeah game design in the colloquial sense could mean anything okay you know ever like i've seen qa testers call themselves game designers because they work on games okay like that doesn't mean you're a game designer but i don't know it's interesting to see that so i there is a picture being painted if that's what you're asking okay and the next question kind of involves that so, I mean, this is interesting where it says production and team management is 31%. Mm-hmm. Now, that makes me think that one out of every three employees would be some kind of manager. Uh, it could just be a lead. Okay. You know, that's part of management. Okay. You know. Um, and, you know, then you have to wonder, the people that are signed up for GDC's, like, membership mm-hmm. are probably the more high up people more often than not. Well, let's take a look at the next okay. question because it says, what best describes your company? Indie Studio got 32%. Mm. Okay, this makes more sense yeah. now. Yeah. So AAA Studio got 18% and AA Studio, which weirdly they're recognizing that term. Like, I, you know, yeah. I didn't think they called themselves that. Okay, I'm curious. Well, 11%. We're, we're missing about 40% of the data here. What other categories are there? Other than oh, it was three? educator, uh, okay. independent contractor, okay. that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, and those were all, like, single digit. Okay, yeah. so I guess you could see when an indie studio, usually the team is very small, mm-hmm. often maybe even sometimes just one right. person. Yeah. So you would clearly see your... Where would you see yourself in the job role question out of those three categories? Indie studio. 
No, no, no. The question above. Oh. Oh, boy. That'd what be... describe? Yeah. What best describes so, your job role? Yeah. That would be tough. If you're a one-man team... You're all three. You're all three. But if you have to pick one... Right. Game design. Okay. Because, um, I mean, at the end of the day, what you're going to be remembered for is designing a game. Okay. I think. Gotcha. I think. Um, but, yeah, that does create a conundrum. And I really kind of do also lament how, like, certain websites and, uh, like, f- fields or forms ask for, like, a, you to specify something. Like, like they don't account for the possibility that you might be a multi-talented right. one-man team. Yeah. Um, so yeah. they don't let you select multiple right. they only pick one exactly um, okay this next one I find highly interesting yeah so which platform are you developing uh, your current project for now this was probably one where you could pick more than one uh, I would think so yeah because um, these numbers add up the to report more than actually says that for but for brevity I didn't okay yeah because this adds up to more than a hundred right so yeah you would have to select multiple here but this isn't even all of them okay uh, there were a lot of, of other ones that I just I just focused on consoles and okay. mo- uh, mobile and PC to like compare. Okay. Um, PC got sixty six percent, being the top one. Makes by, sense by far. Yeah, it does because it's the most universally and games accessible. are made on PCs. Right. right. Um, PS five was the next one, and that is thirty five percent, almost a fifty percent drop. Yeah, which is interesting. Right, but way higher than Nintendo. Um, Switch got 18%. Switch successor got 8%. Okay. We skipped a couple there. We did. Xbox Series X and S got 34%, so one percentile less. Yeah, pretty much neck and neck with PS5. So basically, if you're developing for PS5, you may as well put it out on Xbox if you have the means to do so. Yeah, I think Xbox... I don't know this, but I think Xbox is... um, Like barrier of entry financially is a little bit more than mm, PlayStation. Okay. Uh, like, it, it's more expensive to develop on Xbox. Gotcha. I think so. Um, and then, interestingly, I did include Android uh, 24%, iOS 23%. Um, it's weird to see Android above iOS, but it's also weird to see mobile above Nintendo. Well, let's talk about why this... Let's let's theorize why the Switch might be 18%. Well, it's an older system. Yeah, it's at the end of its life cycle. Right. And the uh, the other one doesn't exist yet. But, but what's funny is that we get confirmation that it does exist yeah. oh, by developers saying yeah. that they're creating <laughs> that, games yeah. for it. That's true, yeah. It's based... I mean, if this isn't out, confirmation... 8% of them are making for the Switch successor. So, I mean, these people must work for, like, close partners of Nintendo. I guess something. it's... it's. This is not realistic, but it's possible that they're banking on it being real and they're oh, developing okay. a game that they plan on putting on it. I guess that could be right. another way to look at it, yeah. But I want to look at it from... The they have, lens. like, development hardware and stuff, yeah. yeah. Or, like, they've been given, like, hey, this is what the specs are going to be. Right. Make sure right. your game or, can target this. Yeah, or they've been given the API for, yeah. like, calling system yeah. uh, functions and stuff. Um, so that's interesting. So, I mean, I wouldn't... If I was, like, a Nintendo fan and I see, oh, my God... My system's at the bottom. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily be disheartened by this. Right. Because I'm sure five years ago, this Switch number mm-hmm. was probably like 80%. Right. You know? Um, 
Everybody was trying to get on Nintendo. Yeah, that's true. They were being picky. Oh, yeah. They weren't letting people get on Nintendo. Yeah. I don't know if they've let up or not, but I got rejected because just because they don't have a title out. Yeah, I mean, you applied when the Switch was new. Yeah. Um, and they were really being picky with who got dev kits. Mm-hmm. And because you were an untested developer, right. they weren't confident. Um, I, I got word from people at E3 and stuff that I talked to about that, uh, that other regions weren't picky. And if I could uh, possibly, like, have a temporary location in another, right. you know, just get in that way. I know um, there were, like, established developers. Like, the guy who made Axiom Verge mm-hmm. could not get a dev kit from Nintendo. Yeah. So they had to get published by limited run. Just to get... Even digitally, yeah. not even physically, Limited Run published their game digitally for them on their behalf, but that meant that I'm sure they had to give Limited Run some kind right. of cut of revenue. Right. But they would rather be on the market than not, not on the market. On, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. That really stinks. Yeah, which didn't make sense because he was a proven developer. Right. Now, there may have been some politics there because the guy who uh, helped the Axiom Verge developer, mm-hmm. uh, Dan Adelman, Used to be Nintendo's indie guy. Oh, okay. And he quit to go solo and just work one-on-one with developers, indie developers. I, I, I met him. Yeah, we did meet him. I Yeah, I met him, I too. bumped into him. I have his business card, Yeah, I, I bumped into him outside of E3, yeah. showed him Seraphim on the phone. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah he was demoing someone else's game. Okay. Oh, we... yes, at a future yeah. PlayStation experience. Yeah. That's where we saw yeah. him. He was doing Chasm at the time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that question, uh, was actually followed up by what platforms interest you. And the answers were actually very similar. Oh, okay. So I didn't really include that question. Okay. But, um, what game engine are you primarily using for your current game? This interests me. Unity, 33%. Unreal, 33%. Tied. Tied. Proprietary, 14%. I expected that to actually be higher. I think if you had done the survey five to ten years ago, yeah. Oh, yeah. it would have been a lot more proprietary oh, yeah. stuff out there. Oh, yeah. But most people are, they've just consolidated the game, which is probably helpful for when, like, you know, people do layoffs and then they hire you at, like, another studio. You yeah. already know the engine. You right. Know? Yeah. There's, I, there are a lot, be of be a lot of benefits to having a universal uh, engine that other you know becomes like a standard that people just know kind of like the language we speak yeah but there's also downsides um unity has a lot of fat the container Mm -hmm. that stores the game has a lot of it in it like the graphics pipeline the garbage collector it's all in there not every game you no game uses all of it right you know so there's a lot of reasons to have your own if you can swing and a lot of like developers are come from a programming background as opposed to an art background. Uh, and when you're coming from that background, you're pr- probably your first instinct is let me start coding the engine. Right. You know, that happens a lot. Uh, so a lot of teams I've met, uh, they have their own engine. Right. So, I think there's still a lot of Sony studios yeah. that have their own engines in each studio. Oh, when Sony talks up to like developers about development stuff, it almost seems like they're catering to those people. Like okay. the stuff they're talking about is 
only stuff you would need to know if you were working on your own engine. Okay. Um, I I get that a lot. Like I I have to. Some of it's over my head. Yeah. I'm not even gonna lie. Yeah. Like some of it's like whoa. Um. And then uh, go dot that weird engine. Godot. That's like Godot. The, people are touting it as being like yeah. a three percent a Unity alternative. Right. 3%. Why do you have a smile on your face when 3%, you say that? Three <laughs> percent. <laughs> I don't know. I kind well because I am on Team Unity despite their recent moves. Right. Okay. Um, well, it would be devastating if like Unity just like shut down tomorrow. Yeah, that would well that would really screw me up. Um, <laughs> next question though: uh, In the last twelve months, have you or your company considered switching your game engine of choice? Interesting, because we talked about Unity and the things that they did and how they angered people, especially developers. 49% said no, they're not switching. 28% said yes, and 7% said switched already. Okay, I'm curious, what the heck is the other, like, 20% of people doing? Uh, don't know and don't, <laughs> uh, not okay. applicable. Gotcha. And, yeah, that kind of stuff. I didn't... Okay, I, I just want to make sure I have like, as much of the full These picture. are talking points, this isn't a study. Story. Right, I know. Well, I mean, it actually was a study. This, yeah, the report itself right. is a study. Um, okay, so I guess 12, 28% in the last 12 months. That's interesting. Do you think mm -hmm. some of that's in reaction to Unity stuff, or do you think it's just sort of people moving away from proprietary engines, maybe? Mm, well, the, the data from the prior question says no. Um, I think... Well, it, not necessarily. For all we know, Unity was at 50% the year prior. Right. Um... I don't... If you're using Unity, you're not one day going to go build your own engine. No. Um, I mean, maybe, but probably not. It yeah, seem... it's interesting because you have developer... You see, We see consolidation, right? With people all moving to Unreal or all moving to Unity. Yeah. But then at the same time, there's incentive not to do that. Yeah. Because if you ship a, a big game, a AAA game, mm -hmm. with unity or unreal your royalty fees are a lot higher than if you had, had right. you'd have no royalty fees if you had a proprietary right. engine right that, yeah there are definitely multiple reasons to have your own proprietary engine yeah um 100% but you also need a team of engineers or at least an yeah. engineer well, you got, yeah at least at least for a while you have to have had someone that or a team that made that engine for right. you right and then you maybe need some people to stay on and now it if you have a team that only does tennis games, that's all you do, that's all your company puts out right. is tennis games, yes, you want a proprietary engine. That would be so right. ideal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you wouldn't use Unity for every one of your tennis games. Right. Uh, unless you're putting out, like, mobile trash or something. Um, but, so yeah. So you're saying Unity is just used for developing trash? No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You gotta be kidding, dude. I am kidding. Push my buttons. Um, which VR slash AR platform, platforms, so multiple answers, uh, do you anticipate your game will be released on? So this is concerning VR. So I'm guessing maybe some people just didn't answer this question if it didn't apply? Because this implies... This oh, no, there's, there's a lot more other single-digit answers. Right, but I mean, this implies that 34% of 3,000 people mm -hmm. 
are saying that their game is an AR or VR game. Yeah, I mean... That seems extraordinarily high. Yeah, I... I don't know what to I'm do not with sh- this information. Well, okay, look at the report if you have any questions. No, I know. I I know that this is what the... I believe it. This is what the report says. Right. But I don't think that every... I don't know. I don't... Do you do you anticipate your next game? So it's you know next VR game you guys do. Hmm. I'm pretty sure not applicable was one of the answers. Here. Right, but it must have been pretty small, or maybe because if you didn't put it on here, yeah, hmm. um, whatever we can look at it. Anyways, the important thing or the interesting thing I should say is MetaQuest Store got the top answer at thirty four percent. Uh, then Steam VR was next up, twenty six percent. PSVR and PSVR two, fifteen percent of people working on VR games, okay. according to this. Yeah, I have to imagine this was this specific question only applied to people right. working on. Yeah, yeah, probably like four hundred out of like people on the Spider Man team are not making right. an AR. Thirty four percent of them are not right. working on an AR VR game. Exactly. Yeah, probably like. A few hundred out of the 3,000, yeah. maybe. Um, Apple Vision OS got 13%, which I'm surprised it got any, because I don't see it marketing itself as a gaming platform so much. I mean, it's they're marketing it as a computer. Yeah. It's like spatial, the first spatial computer from right. Apple. Right. Like that's the, and it, that just came out last week. Right. Or, yeah, last week. Yeah, there are already photos of people walking down the street with it. <laughs> uh $4,000 headset. Yeah, man, I would not be walking around LA or New York City with that on my head. Yeah, just, I don't know. It, it's my, That's a whole other topic. Um, the Apple Vision OS. Anyways, Epic Game Store got 6%. I thought I'd include that answer just because it's epic. and Yeah, know. okay. Um, so, not much interest. And I didn't even know that they provide VR... I have a VR category. I guess it makes sense. Um, next question. Did you have anything to add? Um, before you do this next one, I think you should jump to the one after it first. The job type one. Oh, that's part of the same question. Okay, because it almost feels like this one yeah. belongs more so, closely. With so the people that answered yes okay. were asked that. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so... Um, are generative AI tools uh, being used at your company or department? Um, 31% said yes, 23% said no, and 15% no but were interested. So most are using it. Well, no, that's not true. No, because we're missing like yeah. 20-some percent. Of most are either using it or interested. Okay. Interesting. Of the people who... Uh, the ones that said no said definitely no. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. And then the ones that said no but were interested, Okay. Um, I put them separately. Gotcha. Um, and then the people who said yes to that question were also asked uh, what job types within their company uh, are, okay. are uh, now this, using Okay, using this is AI. more interesting. So, um, business and finance was the top one with 44%. Uh, community marketing and PR, 41%. Production and team management, 33%, mm. which is weird. I mean, 
immediately your mind goes to AI managing the company, but obviously that's not. I what's mean, happening. it could be just like making yeah. flyers yeah, for the exactly. team luncheon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> AI generated. Um, programming and engineering. Now we're. This is getting interesting. Twenty-five percent. Mm. So using AI to write code. Um, game design, twenty-one percent. So I could see. I don't think an AI is writing the game design. I think an AI is maybe returning answers on what mechanics are the most marketably viable. Well, and stuff like this that. is specifically asking about generative AI, though. Yeah, but, generative AI is the AI that creates. Or yeah, makes. but if a, an AI generates a chart with all this market data, that is generative. Oh, that I is would generative. Be suspect AI. of any of that. What? I mean, if you're if you're now instead of like doing your own research, you're just having a chart be generated for you. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't question any of the information it put on the well, chart. Well, you likely know what it like what it crawled or what it combed. Okay. So it, it's really just doing what you could spend weeks. Or I guess doing. you could say, here's the data. Make a chart for me with it. Yeah. Rather than like generate the data and the chart. Yeah, you you could. I don't know. I, I yeah. I mean, that would just be like design generative AI. Yeah, because when I when I think of generative, I think of like you know taking the place of something a human would create. Right. I mean, it generative AI is something it, AI that generates some output, yeah. like some actual like. Yeah. Output, like a product of some right. sort. Um, uh, so, yeah, what was I? Oh, yeah. Game design and narrative writing, 13%. So That's scary. Yeah, again, that doesn't mean an AI is writing the story. That could mean that an AI is, again, returning data. I mean, how long do you think it's before, before like, okay, this is the first video game Made entirely by AI? Yeah, where it's like, well, humans kind of cobbled it together, but generally speaking, yeah. it was totally made by AI. Right. Um, not far along. Yeah, I think there are probably multiple teams yeah. racing to be the first one there. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I've already heard of, supposed the first movie mm -hmm. you know, coming out that's going to be made entirely right. by AI. Yeah, people want to be the first. I guess so, yeah. yeah. Uh, visual arts, uh, 16%. So your fear of like AI making all the characters and all the rocks and all the sky and everything is not what's reflected here. It seems like AI is mostly being um, used in business and finance. And well, you know what this did make me think about is that when when they um, yeah, that's interesting because okay, they specifically interviewed developers, but mm -hmm. here they're talking about roles that have nothing to do with development right that's true so i'm a little confused why yeah that's why i have an issue with the term game developer yeah i mean the guy in i don't accounting consider is the, not... the finance financier you know financial whatever what are you accountant? Yeah, the accountant why why is <laughs> the why is he being interviewed about this right exactly well they could be okay these could be game developers just answering the question, where in your company is this used? 
I, I guess. I mean, you would have to do, like, investigative work to find that out. Yeah, or the company, you know, collaboratively answers these. Like, hey, everyone, we're using AI and accounting now. Yeah, I don't know. Overall, what kind of impact do you think generative AI will have for the game industry? This, okay, this is interesting. So this is interesting. These are game developers, according to GDC and Game Developer. um, (laughs) (laughs) Answering the question, what kind of impact do you think AI is going to have? 21% positive impact. 57% 57% answered mixed, mm-hmm. and 18% said negative impact. So, so negative and positive are pretty close. Yeah. It does lean slightly toward positive. Yeah. Um, most are mixed. And then I think don't know or whatever was another answer, yeah. and that had a few. Yeah, I think some people probably can see that there are going to be benefits, but yeah. there are also going to be big losses yeah it's just gonna be a big change yeah um yeah what is your studio's level of interest in blockchain technology (sighs) so this this (laughs) this should be an interesting this is damning right yeah so this is why this report is so important and i needed to include it um 77 percent said not interested in blockchain technology 6% 6% said very interested. 2% said using it. Right. So if you're Ubisoft or some big publisher and you you have these blockchain dreams. Well, Web3. We'll Web3 dreams. Web3. Yeah. Um, yeah, your developers don't seem interested in no. making that for you. No. Um, now, I don't know if they're speaking on the company's behalf or if they're speaking from a personal level. See, I, uh, I would hope it's... The individual developers person, right. but some of these questions are like, who is being interviewed yeah, here? Right. So I'm really not sure. And I just don't have it. I yeah. did look for more clarification. I, I could dive longer, but I didn't have the time for that. Um, do you think the rise in film and TV adaptions of games, i.e. the Super Mario Brothers um, movie, Last of Us, Dungeons and Dragons, Borderlands, uh, is good for the game industry? I actually added this question retroactively. I uh, originally omitted it, but found it important. Um, 63% said yes, movies are important. Uh, 26% said maybe. And then 4% said no. <laughs> like Dude, Those must be the purists. What are they thinking? Well, I mean, you said not that long ago that you're, like, you don't want to see video game movies. A lot of them. No, that I never said that. I, no, dude, I never said that. I never said I don't want to see video game movies. Okay, well, you were you were kind of, you were down on the Super Mario Brothers movie. I was down on it for good for reasons. I had reasons why. Okay, I, you know. And then you've described as being like pessimist, or you've been a little pessimistic on the news of the Zelda movie as well. Just from what little information doubtful, you have I guess. Yeah, okay. You know, not trusting of. Okay. You know. All right, that's fair. Because, um, yeah, th- that's a big, passionate... Okay, so you see these things as being good? If I'm thinking from an industry business perspective, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, how can they be... How can they be bad? Right. Unless the movie is, like, horrific, then it can hurt the brand. Right. I think in the past, video game movies have struggled <laughs> and had a really hard time... Yeah. Like, being adapted correctly. Right. Probably because you have 
someone making the movie who has never picked up a controller in their right. life. They got a couple screenshots and said, okay, I'll make a movie out yeah, of that. Yeah, exactly. And just oh, fill this, in my own blanks. This game's about, you know, spaceships? Here, let's make a movie about spaceships. What was the what was that movie we watched with Freddie Prince Commander. Jr.? Yeah, Wing, Wing Commander. Commander dude. Which isn't that like an arcade game? Yeah, yeah. It's so an, I mean, oh, it's an Atari Twenty Six Hundred. So pretty ripe. Yeah, for oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course. I mean, how do you expound on? <laughs> yeah, I mean that an Atari right. Twenty Six Hundred. I wasn't game. going for that, like as right. an example. Okay. Gotcha. But you know what I'm saying? Well, like maybe the Mortal Kombat movies or the Street Fighter movies of um, the nineties. Well, the Mortal Kombat movie, uh, if the nineties had a a best one, uh-huh. it was that one. Okay. Uh, and the sequel, not so much. Okay. But, um... You know, they're making a sequel to the more recent Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah, well, it ends on a cliffhanger, so... Well, that doesn't always guarantee a sequel. That's true. Um, that one, I had other problems with. (laughs) (laughs) Um... We'll get there someday. Yeah. Uh, so... We've got a few questions left. Layoffs. So, yeah, I wanted to include layoffs because that's all we talk about on here is layoffs. Um, How have game industry layoffs impacted you or your company in the last 12 months? 54% answered no layoffs. So half the industry last year didn't experience layoffs. Right. Um, 17% said some layoffs at their company. Right. Okay. Uh, 11% said other departments. Oh, no, sorry. Some layoffs... In their department. In their department. Other departments, 11%. And then I was laid off, 7%. Okay. I bet you if they had waited one more month and included January (laughs) Uh, in this data, that the no layoffs would be down to, like, low 40s, probably. Yeah, that data has changed. (laughs) Uh, I, I definitely <laughs> want to sure. look at this report again next year. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be curious to see. Maybe we can do a little bit of comparison. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, how concerned are you that your company could see layoffs in the next 12 months? 35% of people answered not concerned. Which implies Which, that there's 65% of some, at least some level of concern yeah, for everyone else. Right. 26% said slightly concerned. 16% somewhat concerned, 14% very concerned. Wow. So, I don't know what the period is, like, time-wise. I want to say it's, like, all of 2023. I'm pretty sure that's what it... Right, but there must have been... They sent out the survey at some point. Right. Maybe maybe November. Well, they published this... I forgot the publication date, but it was, like, mid to late January that it came out. Okay. Um, so so they would have had time and right early. but there is a lot of combing through the data yeah. that has and, to be done. and the, uh, like i'm skipping a lot of stuff yeah the report actually expounds on the like the data collected and their analysis and interpretation okay um you can actually read like their take on the data oh man we got another really interesting question here yeah um so yeah i wanted to include this because we've talked about this too um, do you think that workers in the game industry should unionize? Fifty-seven um, percent said yes. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's got <laughs> that's got companies quivering. Yeah. Twenty-two uh, percent said maybe. Twelve percent said no. There was another question that I uh, didn't 
include, but it asked for, uh, of those who said yes, it asked for the age groups. Okay. And it was exactly what you'd expect. Younger? It was, yeah, 18 to 25, top answer. And then... Well, they're the lowest paid, the most disposable people there. So... And the people that are older are likely... To be older... I mean, you don't necessarily know that. I know, but that's what we're doing here. We're throwing out our best guesses at things because we don't have everything. But, I mean, to be older in the game industry, Mm -hmm. you're probably management, right? Like... To be sig- like to be fifty plus in the games industry, you have to have worked your way up to um, like upper. You management. probably have a, a like a really good resume and a lot of experience and a lot of titleships. Right. So you- I just don't imagine that. I mean, unless you really keep up with like the latest trends on like the like actual like game engines and plugins yeah. and all that stuff, tech and stuff. You know, the younger crowd has probably lapped you there. Right. Um, Obviously, you unless have- you're an engineer. Okay, yeah, then you really have to keep up on it. But, yeah, I see your point. Um, I read a statistic today, uh, unrelated to this report, mm -hmm. but, yeah, it specifically said that um, in the game industry, like, it was, like, a really small amount of people that are 50-plus in the industry, like, something like 20%. Yeah. That are 50-plus in the industry now, which I find really interesting, because I think about... A lot of, like, gaming development, like, sort of legends, they're all, like, in their 50s, 60s, and 70s now, or, you know, already gone. Yeah. And so the thing that there's really few and far of those now around at this point, and the industry is mostly led by people in their 40s and 30s. Yeah. Um, The top age group, I didn't include it, but the top age group was 35 to 40. Okay. Or 35 to 45, I think. That was interested um, yeah. in unionization. No, that was uh, in the game. Oh, industry. in the game industry. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I, that would make sense to right. me. Right. Yeah. Uh, let me see. So, uh, have you or any of your colleagues oh. discussed unionization at your company? Okay, this is crazy. Yeah. So this is the opposite of the previous answer. So people who said that uh, they think workers in the game industry should unionize, fifty-seven percent said yes. We see literally the flip of that for those who have discussed unionization. So it's like, I mean, I get it. There's a fear in talking about it right. at work because that's how you yeah, get. That's how you get. As you get the sights put right yeah. on you. Yep. So, but yeah, how crazy is it that there's this like bubbling? Yeah. And so but, this this is where the reports like analysis would be yeah. good to read, but. uh you know, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so we're just guessing here. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. So 50% said no, leaving everyone in the dark here with the answers. 50% said no, they haven't discussed any unionization at their company. 18% said yes. 5% said we are unionized. And okay. 17% said they don't know. Mm. That's, that's, that, those two questions are crazy. Yeah. Because that means there's a lot of interest. I mean, we're talking about, you know, at least 70% of people at game companies are definitely interested or somewhat interested in unionizing. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, 50% have never even spoken about it at work, though. Yeah. Because, like, like we mentioned, like, you do put a target on your back. Like, you start... Going around, hey guys, fill yeah. out this card. You yeah, know. handing out union cards. And <laughs> Management stuff. is going to catch oh, wind yeah. of that, and they will find any reason oh, yeah. to cut you out as fast as they possibly can. Yeah, 
So yeah, that's I don't know. That's that's something. But we yeah. desperately need to take a break. Yeah, let's we'll take a break. be right back. We are back from our break and we're talking one of our favorite types of stories. We already went over the data. Let's talk about layoffs. Layoffs. So, uh, this year, we've seen a number of layoffs that we've talked about, but we've got another one. I had teased it last week, but now we've got layoffs at Deus Ex developer Eidos Montreal. Mm. So, in 2022, we need to provide a little bit of backstory here. In 2022, Square Enix sold several Western studios that they had acquired in the previous 15 years. That included Deus Ex developer Eidos Montreal. We did talk about that, uh... In a previous episode. Yeah. I think it was the last one. So Embracer, a Swedish video game holding group, purchased many of these studios and IPs from Square Enix for 300 million US dollars. This purchase also included the Tomb Raider studio, Crystal Dynamics. Yes. Well, they're now, they became the Tomb Raider studio. Tomb Raider was originally developed by Core Design, the original Tomb Raider. Right. I think that's why the... Some of the people from Core Design, mm. I think, created oh, Crystal Dynamics. you might be right. Hence why they both think, have CD yeah, okay. in their name. Crystal Dynamics probably came out of Core Design. I believe that's correct. Um, could also be totally wrong yeah. on that. Oh, yeah. But I want to say that's what my memory's telling me is correct. Um, so Embracer continued on their 2022 acquisition spree, but then slowed down heavily and began making cuts in 2023. These cuts have now spilled over into 2024, with their first target being IDOS Montreal. 97 employees at IDOS Montreal lost their jobs this week, and a new Deus Ex game that was being scheduled into full production later this year has now been canceled. Yeah, so not only is the world being robbed yeah. of a new Deus Ex game, which we haven't had well, one. Yeah, that's sad. Since like the... I think it was Mankind Divided, or maybe there was one that came after that. That was like during the PS3 360 era. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we talked in a previous episode about how about franchises that have been dormant or IPs that have been dormant mm-hmm. that we want to see revived. Yeah, and this is uh, and it, I might actually come up later in this episode too that topic, but uh, this sucks. This, yeah, this is, I mean this this franchise got revived. And now it's been dormant again, yeah. and it was about to get revived again, Yeah, and now it's just not happening. I didn't really play much of Deus Ex, but I would like to. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it got its, it has its roots on PC. Mm-hmm. I think Warren Spector mm-hmm. uh, was heavily involved with Deus Ex, yeah. and he went on to go and make the Epic Mickey games oh, yeah, that came right. out on the Wii, yeah. um, which the first Epic Mickey they game were was like terrific. They were critically acclaimed. The first one was. Yeah. The second one had a lot of problems oh, okay. and was not so beloved, but uh, the first Epic Mickey is a terrific game if you're interested in Disney games, which there's not that many, there's almost not that many games these days starring Mickey Mouse, although no. we did have one new one last year, Illusion Island. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see, where was I? Um, so IDOS is still working on an unannounced new IP and is acting as a support studio for Microsoft's upcoming, upcoming games set in the once popular but long dormant Fable series. Yeah. So that's, I mean, at least they're still working on one dormant series. Right. Uh, but yeah, interesting. I wonder if we'll see IDOS just eventually go full support and not be working on any of their own original, 
ideas, which would be a bummer if Embracer just uses them as like a, a farming out studio. Yeah, it, it's starting to look that way. IDOS uh, released a statement uh, confirming the news on Twitter, and this is what they said. For the last 17 years, our teams at IDOS have worked on some of the most beloved brands in the industry, combining deep storytelling and innovation into unique games. We have created memorable, multi-awarded experiences that we are proud of, and we know our team members have put their heart and soul in all of them. The global economic context, the challenges of our industry, and the comprehensive restructuring announced by Embracer have finally impacted our studio. The difficult decision has been made to let go of 97 people from development teams, administration, and support services. We are working to support all impacted personnel through the transition. These very talented, highly experienced people are entering the employment market. Well, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> and we want them to find their next projects and are helping to do so. As we navigate these difficult times, the well-being of our team is our priority and the continuous commitment to creating games that players will be able to enjoy. So 97 people doesn't look like a lot compared to the hundreds and thousands. Well, I think IDOS... Is not that big. And I think they were like 300-something people. Yeah, so... That's uh, a pretty significant chunk of their team. That's crazy. Um, Probably 11%, which is the percentage we keep seeing. 97 out of 300-something? Do you know if it's 300-something? I'm almost certain it's 300-something. Okay, that's like a third. Yeah, a third, I mean, it's like, maybe it's upper 300, so about a third to a fourth of the studio has just lost their jobs. Um, Um, I mean, this statement was just a general statement from, like, the company, mm -hmm. and it's interesting, they basically placed the blame on Embracer, their parent company, as like, well, Embracer's restructuring everything, and so now it's affected us. Yeah. Um, It's kind of weird that Embracer didn't out a statement right that i guess the developer yeah i don't know that is interesting why didn't embrace it? yeah we didn't get a statement from the embracer ceo yeah with some you know <laughs> these people you know they they led the way they trailblazed did it for the community the players <laughs> um but yeah the, the, we do get a little bit of that at the end I, like when they say that they're entering the employment market yeah. that's a very nice way of saying yeah. they've been fired right right um it's yeah it it's not something i don't know it, this particular studio has, because of the history and how long they've been around yeah. and the titles that they've put out um the original tomb raider tomb raider 3 Weirdly, not Tomb Raider 2. Uh, I don't know who published that. Um, well, yeah, IDOS was a publisher at yeah, one point. They they were the publisher for Crystal Dynamic. They worked a lot with Square Enix, even. I remember yeah. some of my Game Boy Dragon Quest games have the IDOS yeah, logo on the box. That, that's right. And I told you this, but um, they put out the PC version of Final Fantasy VII. Um so, but yeah, that's like heavily involved. Right. So how funny that one day Microsoft or uh, yeah. Square Enix would come to own them. Well, that's not an accident. So no. this is not an accident. It's all, they're all connected. Crystal Dynamics, IDOS, got both of them who have always worked together, got bought by Square Enix. Square Enix and then sold to Embracer. Yeah. 
Um, and then also the Tomb Raider IP. Yeah, the IPs went along. That $300 million kind of seems like a bargain for yeah, the Tomb yeah. Raider IP. Yeah. And like, I mean, also, talk- the, didn't they get the Hitman IP out of it, too? And no, the Hitman studio actually regained their independence okay. and took the IP with them from okay. Square Enix. Okay. And it's interesting to see that they have seemingly been successful and unscathed through most of the turmoil going on in the industry as an independent studio. Yeah. As opposed to the studios that were purchased right. by other companies. Right. So, I mean, it's good to see uh, the Hitman studio doing well. And I know they have a big contract. Their next big game is a James Bond game. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which is pretty cool. That makes sense. They're a, they're a really good fit yeah. for Bond, I would right. think. Um, and we haven't we used to get Bond games all the time. Oh, all the time. Like, every other year there was a new Bond game. We had, like, Bond games that weren't based on movies that were, like, their own independent story. Starring Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. But, like... <laughs> Had nothing to do with the movies. I loved 007 Nightfire. Oh, Nightfire. It was so good. I mean, people love Goldeneye. That's great. But Nightfire is my favorite James Bond game, for sure. It was really good. Me and my brother, we would just play with bots on, like, the multiplayer mode. It would just be us two versus, like, however many bots we could go up against. (laughs) And we would just spend hours just going through. Oh, so much fun. Yeah, it was... It was really cool. They added a lot of mechanics from um, GoldenEye. Like, they iterated on GoldenEye. Yeah. The graphics were better. You had the du- 007 moves that you could do, mm-hmm. where you, like, instead of blowing up the car, you could shoot the tire and it yeah. would flip onto another car. Well, you, was like you get the blowing. 007 logo yeah. show up. It's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see a new Bond game. So yeah, but we're getting one, and you know, I I wonder who's funding the Bond game on there. Like, who's paying them to make a Bond game? Whoever owns the Bond IP. Yeah, I think it's tied up with Amazon now. Really? Yeah, I think MGM like has hit really hard times. So I think MGM is literally like an office somewhere that just like licenses out the the Roaring Lion logo. Jeez. Of select properties. That's sad. Yeah. Um, so, a new Fable title. That's something they announced a couple of years ago. That's definitely... It's exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Fable, at least the first one, was like very well received. Yeah. People loved it. I think Fable 2, still beloved, but not quite as much as the first one. Then Fable 3 was like a total miss. Yeah. Um, I don't know if... Peter Molyneux's... He's not involved in okay. this new one at all. Gotcha. Um, um, I don't know what to think. Yeah. I, I mean, it is an old franchise getting a revival. Yeah. Uh, it's a totally different studio doing it. Right. I mean, I don't know that IDOS is the only studio working on it. I think they're acting as like a support studio. Oh, you're right. Um, whatever internal wait, team so it's Microsoft. a Microsoft... IP. IP, okay. And Microsoft is working on it with one of their first-party studios. Right, I saw that. IDOS is contributing. Interesting. I don't know if I trust Microsoft's (laughs) studio. Well, you know, we will have a little more to say on that, especially next week. There's apparently going to be some big Microsoft news next week, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of this week's episode. Yeah. Um, But we're going to move on to our next topic now. Something something worth celebrating, something to get excited about. 
Um, it sets a trend. Hopefully. 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 Um, Polyphony Digital, the creators of the Gran Turismo series, um, last year they put out Gran Turismo 8, I believe it is, but their previous game on the PS4 was GT Sport. Um, and this game, the 12th game in the series, was released on October of 2017 for the PS4. And it was announced last year that GT Sport would be ending its service. Um, GT Sport is a... You have to be connected to the internet Yeah, to it's play always it. online. Even though there's single-player offline content, yeah. you still have to be connected to PlayStation Network servers to access the game. Yeah. Um, and so, while it wasn't really a big problem then, but when they announced that it was ending its service, that meant that people who purchased this game would no longer be able to play it. Something that we've warned about in the past. Yeah. We go on about it. Um, so on December 1st of 2023, all add-on content for the game was delisted from the PlayStation Store. So cars, tracks, whatever yeah. they were selling for the game was gone. You, you can no longer get it. And then on January 1st, 2024, the game itself was delisted from the PlayStation Storefront. Finally, on January 31st, the online service for the game became unavailable. I think it was either on January 31st, depending on where you were in the world. Mm-hmm. Polyphony Digital released a patch for the game. Yeah, People were like, what the heck is this patch? Quiet, quietly. Yeah, like, like didn't, didn't even, even like p- announce that it was coming. Yeah, They did eventually make like a little blog post saying that the patch was out and this is what it does. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even really a blog, it was like an update notes. Yeah. Um, but what this patch did was allowed the game to be played offline. Yeah. So all of the single-player, non-competitive you know, online content can now be accessed offline. Any of the cars you unlocked via online stuff you still have access to, all of that content is now available to you to continue playing at your leisure online. Or not online. Or not online. Offline. Um, <clears throat> so players were relieved to see... Uh, the update release, and we're excited that the game will continue to be playable. One comment I saw from user Calibi said, Great, so they finally realized that just depreciating and voiding people's purchases is not a good idea. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is a response to, like, backlash to this kind of thing happening with games, um, or if maybe... You know, that developer, Polyphony or whatever. Polyphony, I think. Polyphony. Um, if this is just something they're passionate about and decided yeah, to Yeah, I that. mean, they don't really... They didn't put out a statement saying why they did this. Yeah. There's a couple things. Maybe it was the plan all along. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, they just got enough player outrage or feedback from people begging to make the game playable offline. Yeah. That they were able to put something together to make it happen. Or maybe this is something they just, you know, kind of related to the first option. They they were always planning on it, and they wanted to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you got to ask the question, why did you make it require online to begin with? Well, maybe while the game was in service, they needed control over... Economy stuff. Uh, yeah, or, yeah. you know, if... Credits. And... Advertisements on one of the vehicles mm. in the game needed to be pulled or something. For licensing reasons. Yeah, I have a list of what content isn't available anymore. Okay. So, all multiplayer modes will not be playable. 
custom libraries so like the stickers and like you know mm-hmm. design and look of outfits cars things like that that you could apply i guess we're attached to the online server somehow yeah so you can no longer access those um certain trophies have now become unattainable right because they require sure. doing online races and things like that and about a dozen or so cars can no longer be unlocked from the in-game mileage store Due to the mileage store's server connection, every week the mileage store would refresh mm-hmm. with like a new set of like things to purchase or whatever. Um, and so, if you already unlock those cars from the mileage store, you do still have them like saved locally to your game. Yeah. And so, like you have those, but like a new player who picks up GT Sport in a year will never ever have be able cars. to get those cars. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. Through hacking and stuff, at yeah. some point, people might be able to, you know, share do that. something like that. Shit, save data, maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, the core game. The and... core, yeah, I mean, this is a positive thing, even yeah. though it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, and honestly, this should just be the standard for online games. It really should. When you end your online game, just release a patch. You know? I mean, some games it's probably more simple. Yeah. Oh, for to sure. turn it online. Yeah, for game sure. offline. Um, but like games like Genshin Impact, Honkai Star Rail. I mean, there's probably a lot of work to be done mm-hmm. to make it playable. Well, they would just need to tie up the ends. Yeah. That connect to the store and right. all that kind of stuff. I mean, the game while the you. All the content, like the the world of the game and everything, is stored on your hard drive. Yeah. There is no save file on your hard drive. Right. Like, you do connect to an online server right. to essentially access your save file. Right. So, yeah, they would have to get that save file local to you. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. That so, would be a little bit of work. Right. Because my understanding is with GT Sport, your save file was still... on your local but there was just always an online check every time you went into the game if your internet went out you would get kicked out of your game yeah um and i think the thing that's most reassuring about this and maybe a really positive sign is that polyphony digital is a first party sony studio Mm -hmm. this is not just a developer doing whatever they want although maybe it is you know but at the same time it's like sony maybe they they could have put their foot down and said, stop wasting your time putting out a patch for this. Yeah. You know, like, you've got a new game that you should be focusing on. This is right. old news, you right, know? Right, right. I know that GT Sport in particular was a very well-received entry in the Gran Turismo series. And GT7, mm-hmm. the newest one that came out last year, has had a bit of a rocky road. Yeah. Because it also has... I not- think it's... Isn't it GT8? Oh, GT8. You're correct. Um, GTA has had, uh, you know, also has like an on a huge like online only component, mm-hmm. and like their player economy is like crazy. Like the amount of like if you want to unlock a new car, the amount of like races and stuff you got to do is astronomical. Not quite astronomical, but a lot. Yeah. Or you can buy it, pay twenty bucks and yeah. get a million credits, right? You know, and buy right. whatever car you want, you right. know. Um, so that's what they do. They they always say, "Oh yeah, yeah, you can earn everything in game." Right. But like, you got to do five hundred races to get the million credits. Yeah. To unlock the car that you want, or or just pay twenty dollars. Yeah. One quick swipe of your credit card, and yeah. everything's okay. Yeah, that's how they do it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, a lot of players have been going back to GT Sport instead of spending time with Gran yeah. Turismo Eight. Uh. But uh. 
Yeah, so at least players will have a way to continue doing that. Now, one thing that sucks is that, like, that patch is not on the disc. Right. So when Sony stops distributing patch notes or patches for their PS4 games... Yeah. Yeah, it's gone. That that disc, you'll install the game and it it won't boot. Right. Unless, you know, maybe there's a way, I'm not sure, that patches can be, like, downloaded to a thumb drive... I know firmware updates for PS4 and PS5 can be done that way. Yeah. But I don't know that individual game patches. Or distributed through the web and you can then put it on a thumb drive. Yeah. Because I know it exists on their actual PlayStation servers. Right. That's not going to be online forever. Nope. You know, but their website might. But yeah, this is a start though. It's good to see. It's reassuring. Yeah. Um, And you know... Hopefully it sig- job. hopefully it signifies a direction that yeah. others will follow. Yeah. I think depending on the game, depending on how many like passionate players you have, it might play a role in determining whether it's worth the studio's time to do that for like the goodwill factor. Right. You know, like for smaller games that maybe didn't have a big following, you know, these live service games that maybe just kind of yeah. You know, they may not get the attention. I mean, even though they could be wonderful games, they just didn't, like, grasp on to a huge community. Right. They might not get that treatment. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens from yeah. here. You, if, if more of this kind of news happens, we will definitely oh, be yeah. reporting on oh, it. Oh, absolutely. This is, like, the thing we want to see this happen is, with yeah. these kinds of games. This is, like, in the direction we want to go. Yeah. All right, we've got one more news story uh, last week we mentioned that Sony was hosting their PlayStation State of Play on January 31st. This was a 42-minute broadcast that covered a lot of ground with new announcements and some reminders of their upcoming games. And now we're going to take a look at some of the more notable announcements out of the group. We're not going to talk about everything featured at the show. Uh, there's just not enough time in the day to do it. But uh, we're going to kick things off with Stellar Blade. Yeah. Stellar Blade is coming April 26th. It's developed by a Korean studio, Shift Up. Uh, Sony actually purchased marketing rights for the game and is serving as the game's publisher worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before I get into some of these next notes I have here, uh, this is like, you, you saw the trailer for yeah. this, right? Oh, yeah, I saw this is a big action game, yeah. something in the vein of like Devil May Cry. It's like hack and slash yeah. action. Yeah. Uh, it looks like there's all kinds of, you know, unique systems to upgrade your character and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the game has a female protagonist, Eve. Yeah. And one thing they're really throwing it back here, retro, you know, kind of PS3, 360 days, at least yeah. that I noticed, it was very kind of in your face, mm-hmm. was like this hypersexualization. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. jiggle physics. They're there. I mean, jiggle physics never went away. They've been around. They've been toned down quite a bit, especially yeah. from Sony. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but, like, Sony started, like, having the Senran Kagura games, like, censored. Yeah, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. They down. went through a whole phase where they wanted to censor games that were too, you know, whatever. Yeah, deviant for their taste. I, they've flip-flopped again yeah so they have now seemingly they're now publishing yeah a game i mean it's not like senran kagura but i mean it, i mean it's 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 an eye candy game for sure i think visually from the combat and the gameplay i mean but the character design as well I, 
maybe not even as much as Bayonetta. Well, did you notice how often, like every time the character was in a new scene, they were wearing a completely different set of clothing? Yeah. Like it looks like that's going to be like a big aspect. Were you? Well, I doubt it'll be a big aspect, but I'm sure it'll have a lot of options. I think there's going to be. I really think. I mean, to me, that's them emphasizing me that there's like probably like a dress up kind of thing. Where, like, you you can unlock... Okay, Maybe. Okay, well, here's what makes me think that. There are pre-order bonuses for this game that are, like, exclusive clothing items yeah. and pieces like that. Right. So I think you are going to be able to, like, sort of stylize however you want mm-hmm. Eve to appear. Um, yeah. And whether that's, like, some skin-tight latex yeah, sort of suit. Yeah, but, I mean, that's not unique. Look, I'm not complaining here. I'm just saying, I think it's really interesting that Sony has, like, flip-flopped hard on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's better than being censorious, that's for sure. Okay. Can you define that for me? Yeah, censoring games. Oh, censorious. Okay, sorry, I didn't I didn't quite get that. Yeah, I'm, again, you know, I, I agree. I think, you know, the game should just be published as is. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's just surprising to me seeing uh, to me this game out of everything in the or the sorry I almost called it the direct uh, out of everything in the state of play mm-hmm. this has my attention the most like this looks like the most fun game to play from what I saw yeah um, like it actually excites me like I I mean I don't know if I'll pick it up on day one but it is something I do want to get down the line because it it reminds me of like just hasn't been like a Metal Gear Rising kind of action game in a while um i i looks interesting some of the acting and stuff i oh yeah i mean was having a problem with yeah i think maybe some of that's the lost in translation kind of stuff yeah yeah i guess it just i the whole everything about it the motion capture to the i mean not the action gameplay motion capture but like the dialogue motion capture yeah as well as the voice acting and stuff and of course the dialogue which you could blame on tra- uh, translation but right i mean it's not necessarily translation it's just that like um you know maybe it's just not to be taken too seriously yeah you know like the emphasis is not the story is there to drive the action to the action to the next scene. Right. You know, not I mean some of the visuals looked pretty interesting. Like there was this one shot of this like huge giant space station above whatever planet they're on and it has like some weird, crazy, like mold growth looking thing yeah, like yeah. attached to it. Yeah, the visuals and stuff all look really cool. Yeah. It does look like a decent game. I have others that I would probably go to first. All right, and speaking of maybe one of those. Oh yeah. This next title featured at the PlayStation uh State of Play, Sonic X Shadow Generations. Mm-hmm. So this one doesn't have a set release date, but it does seem to be implied that it's coming this year. That's kind of mm-hmm. kind of what I got from it. Um now this is a remastered and expanded version of Sonic Generations. This game came out during the PS3 360 era and it was already kind of a a best of Sonic 3D and 2D game. Mm-hmm. Like it took old classic stages from like the Dreamcast games, the Genesis games and remade them in 3D 
uh, for like a modern audience. Right. Um, and so, I mean, that's fine and dandy. I know Generations is probably one of the most well-received 3D games in recent memory. Yeah. Um, so it makes sense that they're going back to it. But what's interesting about this release is obviously it has a new title. Sonic X Shadow Generations. Right. So Shadow is getting a whole new playable campaign, not featured in the original game by any means, um, and is uh, this is what was said about uh, from the creative officer of the Sonic team, Takashi Lizuka or Izuka. I think I might be double I. Um, he said, with Sonic X Shadow Generations. We wanted to bring Sonic Generations to PS5 and PS4 while pairing a brand new Shadow storyline to cross over with the original story. With Shadow's portion of the title, players will get to know him more as a character and understand his motivations. It will create the ultimate celebration of classic Sonic, modern Sonic, and Shadow gameplay that all fans will surely enjoy. Yeah. Now, you watched this gameplay, did you, as a big... A self-proclaimed Sonic lover. Yeah. Oh yeah. Was this on your? Yeah, was this it, on your radar? I got nothing wrong with this. Okay. It looked awesome. The two D portions looked awesome. The three D portions brought back memories of Sonic Adventure on yeah, the Dreamcast, where the big rig is chasing yeah. you down. And um, also, too, when you're going through the loops and stuff, you know, in like third person. Mm-hmm. And then showing, like, the same kind of environment and, yeah. and like, 2D side-scroll. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks awesome. Um, now, I have a theory. There's a new Sonic movie coming out. Mm-hmm. Or filming. I don't know if it's already filmed. Yeah, or... so it is going to expound on Shadow. Shadow, heavily. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like this is also the Shadow thing. I'm not saying it's coming from a wrong place, but I feel like it's being added to the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, some might say tacked on, but that sounds a little negative. Yeah, it's... Doesn't uh, look tacked on. It no, looks it like looks a pretty core, cool. Yeah. Core concept. Um, like that, it's more exciting to me than the port of Generations. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it's a way, they could be using this as a way to get kids and whoever plays the game to like, oh yeah, Shadow. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. You know, here he is. Here's his thing. You know, like, let me get familiar with the character yeah. before later this year they debut the first trailer for Sonic 3. Right. Which it seems like the game is designed to get you attached to him right in some way yeah talking about his motivations and yeah get to know him as a character um so yeah i think that's probably smart from sega's perspective to get something out there i'm gonna i'm gonna venture a guess and say this shadow the hedgehog campaign is probably not gonna be like some 20 hour thing it's probably gonna be maybe five hours you Mm -hmm. know like some original content added onto this port. Well, it's I don't know. I feel like when I see this kind of thing happen in games, yeah, it's usually like for example, I was replaying Final Fantasy two, and it adds like that new campaign after you beat right. the game. It's not it's not a whole new game per right. se, but it's like a new you know ten hour campaign. Um, do we know that the shadow thing is only a separate campaign? Or can you play as Shadow, or Shadow follow you like Tails in Sonic Two? Yeah, it's not like you're playing as Shadow throughout Generations campaign. Okay. It's like a whole separate story mode okay. that has okay. its own original levels and things like that. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean that that looks pretty exciting. I'm sure Sonic fans are excited to spend more time with Shadow, who hasn't been around since. I mean, he's 
he's had a lot of like the team, you know, like the sports and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know if he's been in any of the more modern Sonic games, but last time I played Shadow was on Shadow the Hedgehog on GameCube. Right. Okay, the next title, um, I'm going to take this one, and then the next two I'm going to let Rick talk about. Um, but Zenless Zone Zero. This is the new game from Hoyoverse, the creators of Genshin Impact and Honkai Star Whale. It's releasing this year, and it's confirmed now as coming to the PlayStation 5, which it wasn't prior. Uh, this is an action RPG, and it's set in a like very... You, you don't see... The environment is very unique, I would say. It's got like this very urban, kind of gritty, like graffiti sort of looking neighborhood, but also like vibrant and colorful. Not like, it doesn't have like a negative look to it. Yeah. You know, it's got like a positive sort of like, almost we've, like Jet Set Radio. Yeah, we've, I yeah. was going to say, that's yeah. what you would compare it to. Yeah, a game that we haven't seen anything right. from in 25 years. Um, um, Sega mentioned it at the Well, uh, yeah, they are working on a new yeah. Jet Set Radio game. Um, so yeah, it, it's set in that environment. Uh, visually, it looks really impressive. There's like whole new character models. Uh, Hoyoverse sort of reuses these base character models for both Genshin Impact and uh, Honkai Star Rail. Mm-hmm. And it looks like with this new game, they're like leveling up and like they're not reusing any of those character, those base character models. Mm-hmm. We're seeing stuff like bears and like yeah. like furry kind of people being thrown into the mix yeah. here which is going to be popular with a certain crowd yeah um not something i'm like passionate about the right. furry just want to make that clear for everyone uh but i'm not like opposed to like anthropomorphic animals or in games yeah no, right. not at all like i mean and i love movies with anthropomorphic animals <laughs> um um did you do you have any thoughts on what it wasn't much of a trailer i will say or it was really a trailer it didn't really show it was more of a teaser yeah it was like a minute it was like 60 seconds on the dot um yeah the art style looked really cool it did kind of have a 2d 3d kind of look to it with the characters being more anime okay yeah Um, i didn't I, I imagine it is 3D. Yeah, I've seen some gameplay. Okay. It is like a 3D action game. Not like open world like mm-hmm. Genshin Impact is. More like the kind of focused levels that Star Rail sort of has. Right. But you go into like boss battles and things like that. I will say, personally, I'm I'm at my limit. With Genshin Impact and Honkai Star Rail. What do you mean? Like, I can't add on oh, yeah. another Hoyoverse yeah. game to my plate. Right, of course. And it's going to be huge, and it's going to be gotcha. And... Yeah, all of that is definitely going to be there. I yeah. mean, they make gotcha games. You're right. That's what they're good at. Um, news just dropped today that uh, Honkai Star Rail has been downloaded over 100 million times as of like sometime in the last week Jeez. which is crazy man <laughs> imagine having that kind of reach like that's yeah, nuts that is nuts uh so uh i'm sure zenless i mean it looks good but i feel like if i were to get into it i would have to i'd have to drop something yeah i just don't have the time for it right um but yeah it does uh, it, it's something I, i'll definitely keep an eye on if just from like a a casual onlooker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotcha. All right, so one game that they did uh, unveil was Silent Hill The Short Message. Um, and 
interestingly, it launched the same day. So it was available immediately following the end of the state of play. Yep. Uh, so you could download it right away. And it was free. Yeah. Free 99. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, uh, Konami trying to recreate a PT-like moment. Yeah, so years ago, Konami... Uh, I don't agree with that, but okay. I mean, that's exactly what this was. Uh, PT was this thing that ended up being a project from Konami under... Uh, Hideo Kojima's uh, internal studio they were making a new uh, a Silent Hill game but right. they dropped this playable teaser called PT and it took players hours and hours over the course of a couple days to unlock the it's more of a demo than it really is a full game yeah. um, but uh, it, it eventually unlocked this cutscene where it displayed the title of the game and it showed that it was, like, directed by Hideo Kojima, which we didn't know prior, and, like, also with Guillermo del Toro support, mm-hmm. and starring Norman Reedus, who would so, later go on to star in his game Death Stranding. Yes. So what's the parallel? Okay, the this? parallel is that PT was a shadow drop out of nowhere mm-hmm. at the end of a conference, and okay. it was meant to, like, generate this, like, crazy hype, and then Konami dropped... Silent Hill, this short message, as also a shadow drop right. right after event, promising like a short, exciting experience, you know. And it's it's also a first person going through doors right. simulator. Right. Um much similar to PT. Okay, so um I mean uh so th- I'm just gonna put it like say it right now. This was also paired with a remake of Silent Hill two. Right. Okay, so But um, let's I am going to go back okay. and talk about that, but I, I am going to mention that they like came out with both of these together. Um, so immediately following the trailer for uh, the short message, they started showing this remake of Silent Hill Two. Yes. Um, and so uh, the game started as something like a experimental project. Um, this is a quote from Matoi Okamoto, oh, okay. Silent Hill producer. Sorry. I got confused there. So the um, the Silent Hill producer says, This game started as something like an experimental project, an opportunity for us to try out different things, see what worked and what didn't, and grow and polish our horror game expertise. Uh, we also had a lot of people who were relatively new in their career, but still loved Silent Hill, uh, and who really wanted to be involved in making a horror game. So we use this as a way for our team to build hands-on experience, too. Okay, this quote reads to me like a preemptive, like, apology, like, for the game. Yeah. Like, hey, this was just an experiment made yeah. by some new guys In at a the way, company. yeah. <laughs> You're, yeah, now that you Because that reception to Silent Hill, the short message, yeah. has not been good. Yeah, um, so I could have told you that from seeing the trailer. Because <laughs> when I watched the trailer, yeah. I didn't like it. Okay. I like the environment. The environments looked awesome. Okay. The monsters looked awesome. Right. Um, it lo- it comes off as like reimagined for modern audiences, Silent Hill, mm. you know, with, I don't know, just the main <laughs> character and the texting and social media elements okay. and stuff like that. Um, no. No. No, do away with that stuff. That's not like a... Okay. That doesn't fit. 
All right. I mean, um, I've heard that the game has like a psychological element, and it's specifically dealing with like suicide as sort mm-hmm. of a a theme. Okay. Is that part of the complaint that people have? No, I don't think that's the complaint. I just think. I think the complaint mostly stems as from, like, the gameplay and the game design. Okay. Not so much the story or, like, the theme Mm -hmm. so much. Gotcha. So, um, interestingly, they paired it... The reason I brought up (laughs) Silent Hill 2... Of course, they paired it with the greatest, most memorable, most beloved title in the franchise... Hasn't having a remake, right? Like they had to use Silent pull Silent Hill two out to sell it, right? Um, that's kind of like, how that came off to me. I mean, sell it. It's free. It's free, but you still gotta yeah, convince people to download. They have it. to sell the idea. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, yeah, I was. I did download it. The short message because I'm fearful that Konami will yeah like, I should revoke it. Thing. You know, I at some point, the like they thing. did with PT. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would have that saved to your hard drive yeah, in case gonna... they're like, oh, this is bad for the brand. Um, uh, we're removing it from everyone's account right? and you'll no longer be able to play it if you remove it from your PS5. Yeah. So I, it's only like 12 gigabytes. Yeah. I would, I would do it. <laughs> yeah. They did it already once. Yeah. So, uh, I will be doing that in fact. Um, and I will play it just cause it is a Silent Hill title, whether it's good or not. I hear like PT... It has kind of a frustrating element. Well, okay, PT was interesting because players in real time all across the world were trying to figure out how to unlock PT's ending. Right. Right? And they also didn't know what it was. Yeah, we didn't know what it was yet. Yeah. This is like, they're just like, hey, it's Silent Hill. Right. You know? Um, But I hear that this game has like a frustrating, like it's not fun or fru- like it's it's frustrating trying to get the game's ending. Mm. Like, like players aren't into what they did here. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. Like I was reading comments where like people are like, I just went online and looked up the mm-hmm. the cutscene that happens at the end. You know, like yeah. I didn't have it in me to bother with yeah. this. Right. All right. Um. You want to read the next one? Well, the next one's Silent Hill Two. Oh, yeah, we can talk about that. So, this one... I mean, there's not a whole... I mean, it's Well, okay, I have questions for you. Sure. I have questions for you. Um, Because it looked... Well, let's talk about it real quick. So, no firm release date was given. This is the remake of Silent Hill 2 that's being developed by Bloober Team, Mm -hmm. which is... I want to say they're Swedish, but they're they're from somewhere in Europe. Um, This is the most extensive footage, especially of gameplay, that we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. Um... I, one thing that really stood out to me was the music was awesome. Yeah. And I believe the original composer, Yamaoka or something like that, he's back mm. for this, like with like all new yeah. compositions of his original music. Silent Hill 1 and 2, I think, has the most iconic horror yeah. Silent Hill music. I mean, did you hear them? It had like a rock guitar yeah. like throughout the trailer, um, which I don't know how... Silent uh, Hilly, that is, but it, was, it worked for the trailer. Nah, I the trailer for one had it, oh, okay. and the trailer for two had it. The okay. trailer for one had like this twangy guitar, okay. which still rings in my head. Okay. I love that track. Um, so, my question for you is like, what they showed was pretty action y. Mm-hmm. Uh, like third person, over the shoulder. Um, it looked like a Resident Evil game. Almost. A little bit, like, yeah. It more... almost kind of yeah. looked like Resident Evil 4, like, the way they showed it, but. Those parts are in the game. Okay. Like in the original. 
there there are parts where you're just swamped and see okay in silent hill 2 ammo is so scarce right like you really have to like choose when you're gonna see i wouldn't have guessed that from this trailer because it was just like um there are times where you have to use it right of course to even move forward um and other than that you have a wooden plank right and then it did show him beating yeah monsters those monsters yeah so that takes that scene takes place in a tunnel okay right at the beginning of the game okay so is this so far from what you've seen a a thoughtful reimagining um that graphically and artistically it looks really good okay um i did notice some effects seemed placeholdery yeah like when he like shot something like the blood spurt out from it looked like very Mm -hmm. two gens ago yeah yeah, I'm sure they're still working on it. Yeah, I mean, no firm release date, so yeah, probably a 2025 probably a pretty title. Early trailer. Yeah. Um, and the the monsters uh, of those armless guys. Yeah, d- like those guys are in the game. Those I, are the most common. Did I see, see an enemy that was like yeah, the, two legs sewn on top of yeah. each other? So practically, that's the, that's the mannequin. Okay, there's actually a scene, a cutscene in Silent Hill Two where. Pyramid Head is actually like yeah. has one on the counter and he's okay. actually like going to town on it. <laughs> yeah, like sexually. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, those are mannequins. And yeah, those are in Okay, I know I saw on the PlayStation blog I saw a screenshot of Pyramid Head, but I I'm mm-hmm. failing to remember was he featured in the trailer for like a moment? I wanna say yes. I like I saw this sh- the screenshot showed Pyramid Head like like standing in the rain or something uh-huh. with like water dripping off of it. Yeah. That looked really good. Yeah. But that's uh it could be a bull shot as known in the industry. Mm-hmm. I I don't specifically recall seeing Pyramid Head. Okay. But I he's gonna be there. Yeah. Like he's in there. Was Pier- was Silent Hill two Pyramid Head's debut? Yes. Okay. And Silent so Silent Hill two Pyramid Head doesn't have any business being in any other game other than Silent Hill 2. Right, but he gets shoehorned in. Yeah, he gets shoehorned in as fan candy into the movie, and just, that's some BS. Yeah, I know. I I see players upset about that a lot when he's featured in other games. He's very connected to the main character in Silent Hill 2. So it's like, why would he be anywhere else? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But he's just become almost like he's just a generic monster design. Right. Like a boss monster. Right. But it's not that. He's not that. He's, right. But know. like the way they've used him and other things would give right. people yeah, give people the idea that he's he's basically the Pikachu of the Silent Hill series, <laughs> right. you know? Um which is fine, he can be the mascot, but don't stick him in games he doesn't belong in. Right. Um unless it's connected to James Sutherland somehow. Okay. Um unless it's connected specifically to James Sutherland. Pyramid Head should not be there. Right. And that's why, like, he's... The movie has nothing to do with that. But there he is. Yeah. You know, and that kind of stuff. Supposedly there's a new Silent Hill movie coming out, too. I believe it's been finished. Really? But I don't know if they're, like, waiting to try to time its release or something like that. I thought the first one was pretty good. I never saw the second one. Yeah, I know it's being made... The second one looks scarier than the first okay. one. Like, it's being made by the same, like, production company that made the first two Silent Hill okay. movies. Well, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Because uh, that first one was had some 
really creepy, okay. scary moments. The second, the trailer for the second one looked yeah. oh, like, <laughs> oh, sh- you're too scared to watch it. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I've never played Silent Hill 2. I know people would probably be like, you're doing yourself a disservice if you make well, this Well, you don't first. know Silent Hill if you haven't played 2. Right. Like, you're just not acclimated. With right. It. But like, if I'm going to go into this as my first experience with Silent Hill 2, mm-hmm. like, I know people would be like, don't play the PS1 game first. Uh, or play the PS2 game first. Yeah. 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 I would. Yeah. I yeah. would feel that way. Yeah. Um, it depends what they do with it, because now the word remake is kind of up in the air. If I means. had to guess, this one is going to be... The story is going to be exactly like it was prior. Yeah. I don't... And to, I I think they're well aware. And they're not, they're not Square Enix. Yeah. These people. They know that they're not the creators of this, so yeah. they better do it authentically yeah. as possible. Obviously, the gameplay is going to be different it's yeah play but differently. that doesn't always hold water we see with movies they you know reimagine it and change you know and they're not the original creator of some brothers grim story right that's true you know um i don't know i i'm i'm confident that they know that the the original is perfect mm-hmm so they know to just hey let's just do a very straightforward yeah, do not change anything yeah, like Konami needs wins. Yeah. Okay? And yeah. this is an opportunity to get a really straightforward win. Right. So, just yeah. win, Yeah, just Konami. It's very simple what you have to do. Just um, do a faithful third-person version yeah. of this game. I, I would need to see more to tell you whether I would recommend you play this one okay. or you play the original. Well first. maybe what what maybe what we'll do is have you play the remake. Okay. And you go, you can play this. It okay. would be okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you make that decision for me. Okay. Um I don't know if it's gonna be more action y. I don't know if it's gonna be scarier, like gorier right. jump scare type stuff. Um two did have some of that. Yeah. But uh Oh, there were, now that I think about it, there were certain rooms and scenes in two that I can't imagine how it's going to look. Yeah. You and know, like with today's. The whole room, all the walls and ceiling is flesh. Oh, okay. Like, you know, yeah. breathing, like pulsating yeah. flesh, like that kind of stuff. Um, so you, you sound excited on one hand. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, you know, I'm scared. Sure. I don't know what. It's to, like a baby. It's yeah. Like, it's like your baby. Right. So, the next, uh, wait, you wanted to, yeah, there's one, you go ahead with this game. Okay. I'll talk about the one after it. Okay, so this next game is called Judas. This is the new game from Bioshock creator Ken Levine. This was previously unveiled at the Game Awards in 2022. Um, It seemingly shares a pretty close visual identity with the Bioshock games. It has that kind of stylistic look that those games had. Um, It is a first-person shooter, uh, or a first-person game, I should say. I don't know that you'll be shooting 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have a, a major emphasis on the game's narrative, characters, and player's choice. And here's a quote from Ken Levine uh, that was on the PlayStation blog that I thought would give a little more idea. Uh, so in Judas, we give you a whole new world to explore. The Corridors of the Mayflower, a space city whose citizens are trained to spy on one another 
and tear each other apart for the slightest offense. Where machines control every aspect of business, art, and government, the ship's leaders try to turn you into something you're not, a model citizen, and you sparked a devastating revolution to tear it all down. Did you... I, well, you watched the trailer. Yeah. Um, I th- Okay, so aside from Stellar Blade, I think this one jumped out at me mm-hmm. as being pretty interesting. It looks connected to Bioshock. Like, right? It just... It's almost like the it has to art be. style, the enemy design, the the gameplay, right? Like the specific game gimmicks, right? Is all They're Bioshock. All like, um, so, Ken, a little bit of backstory: Ken Levine, after Bioshock Infinite, has not made a single game since. Yeah, he apparently stepped away for a little while. Apparently, his team was mostly dissolved, but him and a few other core creatives mm-hmm. went to work on a new concept and they were quiet for like four or five years we just heard about his new studio ghost story games which mm-hmm. is interesting still being published by take two the people who publish his bioshock games yeah um and they were working on something and then we finally got like the slightest glimpse out of it in 2022 at the game awards but it didn't really tell us a whole lot this just this new trailer just gives you a lot more questions mm-hmm. uh, than it does answers really. It looks pretty wild. Yeah. Like I mean, like it looks like freaky. Like I would not want to be on this floating space yeah, station right, right. thing. Like it it looks frightening. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, like you're intrigued by it as well at the same time. Um, but uh, yeah, he's talked a, a lot about how player choice is going to like. Like, you're going to have player choice and your way to influence the game like never before until right. you play this game. Right. So, um, I, I mean, I don't. I, I feel like he said similar things with Bioshock Infinite. Mm-hmm. And his original, like, pitch for that game was not the game that ultimately got right. shipped to players. Right. So I wonder um, if he's really going to fully deliver on his promise this yeah, time. Yeah, maybe this is what he wanted Bioshock yeah. Infinite to be. Right. I still feel like you're going to play this game and then get to the end and find out that it's, like, totally related to Bioshock. Well, Bioshock Infinite, spoiler alert to the ending of that game, it it kind of ends with, like, you in this strange realm where there's, like, all these lighthouses and all these lighthouses have, like, a door that go to, like, one of these various worlds where all these Bioshocky places are. Mm. Um... And so, uh, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if this is connected, but it's just losing the Bioshock title for whatever reason. But this brings up an interesting point. Take-Two, it hasn't been confirmed by Take-Two, but it's a well-known, not secret, that there is a studio at Take-Two that is working on a new Bioshock game without Ken Levine's involvement. Okay. Now, Bioshock 2 did not have Ken Levine's involvement either. Okay. That was made by a separate Take-Two studio while he was working on Bioshock Infinite. Mm -hmm. So, it's interesting to see that... I mean, I wonder how he felt. Like, while he's making Infinite, and he was like, hey, this is going to take me ten years. Leave me alone, you know? Yeah. I mean, the guy is brilliant, I think. Yeah, he is. Um and he has a long history in the career. Like he worked on like System Shock mm-hmm. and like games that came prior. 
um, which has nothing to do with Bioshock, just shares a similar yeah, uh, right. title. He has a his like niche kind of cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really interested in this. I enjoyed Infinite. I know not everybody loved it as much as the earlier Bioshock games. Um, well, I think those games were just iconic, or they kind of broke the, you know, broke the style yeah. of Bioshock to people. Like people were like at the time, all the first person games were these like. You right. know, kinds of games. Right. And like, and this had more of a survival horror type Yeah, type and it was just more thoughtful. Yeah. And you like, this, like, you know, there was sort of a weird, like, interesting story thing happening around everything that you were doing. And player choice was important. Like, things you did would have an effect on, like, how things would play out later in the game. Right. Um, which was more novel at the time. It's become a lot more common now. So I'm wondering how he levels that up mm-hmm. for like another generation. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited uh, about that game. So uh, the next game we want to talk about is Rise of the Ronin, which this is the game that jumped okay. out. Okay. Well, this is one of three. Okay. You know, yeah, this one also. Yeah. I really liked it too. Um, it's a new game from Team Ninja, which you know, I mean, it's Team Ninja. All right, but if you don't know Team Ninja, um, they developed. Neo, Dead or Alive, Ninja Gaiden, um, yeah. you know, a lot of acclaimed, well-known titles. Uh, it was, I was going to say one of the Devil May Cry games, but that was Ninja Theory. Oh, I uh, do Ninja get Theory. the two confused. Yeah. They have similar uh, names. Um, but, uh, so, it's published by Sony, releases March 22nd. Yep. Um, soon. Very soon. Yeah, very soon. Action RPG, from the gameplay, it does look... Like, it shares a lot in common with Neo and the Dark Souls type, type uh, yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I think they're leaning away from the Dark Souls stuff because yeah. I think they know that that can be a turnoff to a lot of players. Yeah. It it didn't look as heavy yeah. as Neo did, but it it's still there with the sword play and stuff. Yeah, like, I think it'll be more forgiving yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, like, okay. like your, your average player can get through the whole game... Those mechanics and that gameplay is fine. It's just the difficulty yeah. is like, a, oh, you took two hits, a game barrier over. Barrier yeah. you know. Um, but the environments, the walking around, felt very Onimusha to okay. me. Okay. Um, See, I took Assassin's Creed kind of. Oh yeah, from with it. the with the grappling and all that stuff. Yeah, like the, the like walking around the city, going around the rooftops, yeah. felt very Assassin's Creed. He has a flying device. Yeah, he's got like this cool like yeah. glide. It's not like a, but it, it's also very historically inspired. It seems. Oh too. yeah, it's set during 1800s Japan. Like I think it said like 1850s, yeah. 1860s. It said the um. There's a specific era. Yeah. Um, but it's described as being Japan's like darkest period. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's cool because it's not entirely like samurai era, you know. Right. It is like there's still modern, like there's steam and yeah, coal, it's like you know, like steampunk Japan. I mean, not quite steampunk, well, but like you know, like that... that's what steampunk is. Okay, it's just at that era. Okay, I see what you're saying. When um, I think of steampunk, I usually think of like those futuristic. Yeah, steampunk you think people. of a bunch of like stereotypes yeah well i mean when i see steampunk people at conventions that's what they look like usually you yeah. got the future punk i guess is what it really is future punk i, I don't know what we're talking about like it looks like futuristic like steam yeah oh yeah it's steam powered futuristic technology okay there you go okay, the full sure. term thank you 
Um, so Death Stranding. Oh wait, no, oh, we're, we're jumping not, ahead. We're not, we're not there yet. Anyways, yeah. So it's a, it's an RPG. You walk around town. You talk to you know NPCs, and I, I don't know how open world is going to be. Um, I think there's going to be. Uh, they said there's like three cities: Yokohama, Kyoto, and Ida, which is now known as Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said there's also going to be like countryside areas as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I can't imagine they're connected because Kyoto is quite far yeah. from Yokohama and Tokyo. Yokohama and Tokyo are. Like neighbors, they're right. right next to each well, other. Well, I mean, you might travel between them, like yeah, in- instant mean, travel. I mean, oh yeah, I'm sure it'll be like, oh, it took you three months to go down yeah. to Kyoto or something. Yeah, um, because yeah, you got to go on a bullet train to right. get to Kyoto from Tokyo, <laughs> and that's like a three hours on a bullet train. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that one looked cool. I think the setting is right. I think it's like a time worth exploring for sure. Mm-hmm. I there was yeah. an Assassin's there. Cre- there seemed to be like a. A hint of yokai and oh, stuff. Okay, you think there's too. maybe a, a supernatural element? Yeah, to like it? a mythology element. Okay, yeah. all right, that would be interesting to see. Um, that one guy with the claws yeah. did not look human. He looked like a human, but okay. way too big. He looked like a nephilim or something. I don't That's know. right. Yeah, he was probably like a yokai or something. Okay, maybe. yokai is a Japanese ghost, effectively. Uh, yeah, Japanese demons. Yeah. Um, do you rem- okay, you know what it kind of reminds me of? The time period is like, not quite Wild Wild West, or mm. maybe Shanghai Noon. It's basically, yeah, the Japanese equivalent of that. Yeah. that's what was going on here during the steampunk times. Right. Victorian era in England, we had the Western era here, right. and that was going on in Japan yeah. all at the same time. Like Man, That's crazy yeah. to think about. And that's exciting. Yeah. The genre of steampunk involves all of them. You know, right. like you see Western stuff. And, That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Okay. If I'm going to go buy one, it's going to be probably that one. Rise of the Ronin. I have two others that you didn't put on the list that okay. I'll talk about afterward. Okay. Well, I feel like we should probably end with Kojima's game. So why okay. don't you? So um, the other one that I saw is Dragon's Dogma 2. Okay. And, yeah. and when we're talking about reviving old ips and stuff dragon's dogma hasn't seen any attention uh that's not entirely true it's been it got a switch port like two years ago so i mean they've been servicing it okay you know slightly yeah Um, but the guy who created dragon's dogma was working on the new devil may cry game for so long okay so he was tied up with that before he could work on dragon's dogma 2 the Devil May Cry of six or whatever the I think it was five okay. and it came out like three or four. The years one ago. after DMC, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. That kind of brought it back to yeah the origins. White haired Dante. Yeah, it yeah. got rid of like DMC. <laughs> whatever is not that canon. was, <laughs> we've moved on, and we're back to the original story canon. Good. Um. So, uh. Yeah. Yeah. That dragon. I didn't put it like, on here because it's um kind of been well fleshed out in other places yeah um and it was just kind of i felt like it was just like hey reminder this game is coming out yeah yeah yeah. i gotcha still wasn't uh, and it was the first time i saw any footage of it so it looked really good they've leveled it up yeah like it looked really really good dragon's dogma's interactivity 
with like monsters mm-hmm. and the environment is crazy. Like you literally like control your grip with like yeah. each hand. So that reminds me of Shadow of the Colossus. Okay. Yeah. That's what that that's was. That's true. Yeah. That's definitely there. Um, but like you're like jumping onto the monster and yeah. trying to like grab on holding its being, fur like swung around yeah. while it's happening for shadow of the colossus i would say that happens you do yeah. literally that i feel like those titan battles that you have in shadow are they're a little more scripted uh, have you played it yes i mean i've, I've played the ps3 okay uh, i played the first or the first and second the first one is eco Okay. And then second one is Shadow of the Colossus. No, no, no. I mean, I played up to, like, the first or second. I was having problems with the PS3 port. Yeah, it wasn't a good port. Um, So, yeah, I stopped playing it. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, you can fall off. Yeah. But it it felt like... It had, like, a very, like, cinematic kind of, like, build-up. Yeah. As you work your way up the... Yeah, that's true. It was kind of, like, the first time you saw that. Yeah. Um, But, yeah... uh, looks really good dude yeah. the minotaur and stuff yeah. so it looks literally like final fantasy rpg meets like that kind of stuff yeah um and the other game that caught my interest not the best looking game i think it just reminded me of a game that i was hired to work on okay uh that i'll talk about someday um was the uh it's called legendary tales it's legendary a vr Tales. title oh okay yeah um dungeony yeah, I saw that. It looked like you're like fighting skeletons yeah. and stuff like that. You know what's funny? I had the same thought when I was watching. I was State like, of "This play. looks exactly." I was like, like, "This looks like that thing Rick was working yeah, on." Like exactly like it, like the assets and yeah. art style. I mean, chances are some of those assets might be from like asset packs yeah. or something. Oh, I'm sure. But yeah, um, there was a lot of like yeah. spell effects and stuff yeah. going on. It looked just like it. The, even the font over like player names and yeah. stuff. Looked just like how it Yeah, so that's that a PSVR 2 game yeah. that's upcoming. Uh, and it's like a first-person, like, dungeon. Like, almost like a Diablo game, but you're first-person in that dungeon fighting off the waves of yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, monsters so and skeletons. That looked like a... I would play that. Yeah. And then one last one, I guess there's four titles. Okay. okay. Uh, was it called V... Oh, v- Yeah. That would look like a top-down isometric, yeah, yeah, like a dungeon crawler. Yeah, like but Diablo. It, like not like Diablo. This was like Venetian Gothic, like cathedrally. Right. When I say Diablo, I'm just talking about oh yeah, that the style isometric style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would probably pick that game and uh, Rise of the Rise Ronin. of the Ronin. Those two, uh, like, yeah. Okay, maybe even V first. Okay, I'm kind of hankering for one of those. Yeah, I mean, out of the ones that are upcoming, yeah, I mean, Rise of the Ronin, I think I walked away. Yeah, honestly, I I did like the look of Stellar Blade, but that is definitely wait and see the reviews. Mm-hmm. Like, because this is like an unproven developer. Yeah. Like, maybe the reason they're selling sexy so hard is because the game the isn't game that is good. <laughs> um, so that's maybe something that should be waited on. For me, I hear your... Um, reasoning as to like well you know maybe the story's not at the forefront of yeah. the experience but to me that's still not an excuse for it to be bad uh i mean all we saw was a trailer yeah so the jury's yeah, yeah, out yeah. oh no i'm just spitballing i mean and some I, people I know that it's bad. you know like require last of us level storytelling yeah, in no. their games no 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 
you know, I just need motivation. Right. Like, I don't want to be playing the game. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be... If I'm playing your game and the story is, like, boring me that I start looking at my phone, Mm -hmm. that's when I know there's, like, a problem. Yeah. Like, I want to be captivated by your story, if possible. Right. I know not every... Like I was talking about with Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, Mm -hmm. the story is very by the books, good versus evil, Mm -hmm. you know, let's save the world, you know. And there were some moments where I was more engaged with it and other moments where I was like, okay, you know. Yeah. There is, like, a lot of cool lore and, like, backstories to explore with all the characters in those games, which I did find more interesting than the overarching let's save our friend, you know, story. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, I don't know. Stellar Blade, I could see Stellar Blade having, like, really cool world building, Mm -hmm. but just, like, a bad script, bad acting. That's what I'm kind of leaning... Again, we don't know anything. Yeah. And it could be good. Right. Know. I mean, there's still time. But the, it looked like it had a pretty developed lore. Yeah. Um, which is a good sign. Yeah. Because um, the, it was can be... just the, the character execution of right. the dialogue and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, like very that. corny and yeah. delivered poorly. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe they don't have a huge budget for like their actors and stuff so they just hired yeah. you know some guy fresh in the the voiceover or they have screen. ai do it <laughs> could be that yeah honestly might be yeah and it kind of sounds that way to be honest i mean i could see maybe like if you have like an ai character in your game mm-hmm. it might make sense to have like an ai voice, voice yeah. yeah like i could see that as being like a stylistic choice right you know um it sounded, I don't know, sounded almost like modern text-to-speech. Okay. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All um, right, we got two other announcements at the State of Play that we got to get through real quick because we are going pretty long yeah, today. Oh, yeah. um, both of them are related to Hideo Kojima. Yes. The legendary... No, visionary. Visionary. Visionary game designer. Celebrated game designer who we've spoke of previously, who we both admire oh yeah and respect we have his autograph yeah. on multiple games each yeah like, i mean we've met him we we've tracked him yeah <laughs> like we've hunted him <laughs> um yeah and you know again we might come across as sounding yeah a little overly critical it's because we care yeah it's because we care um so real quick there was a 10 minute segment it was almost all trailer for Death Stranding 2. It was it was so long. <laughs> it was very long and really weird. We should talk about some of that in a second. Um, but it got a title, a, a subtitle reveal. Mm-hmm. Death Stranding 2 on the beach. Yeah. It's an interesting title. People have been speculating that there's going to be some kind of ocean element to this game. Mm-hmm. Like where you're going to be underwater or something like that. Oh. Um, so... This this on the beach title only seems to help maybe confirm that a little bit more. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Or it's a code for something else <laughs> oh, later yeah. in the game. I mean Kojima, yeah. he's a master yeah. deceiver. Yeah. For he, sure. Well, he loves to play yeah, with the fans. He, he's a master intriguer. Okay. That's where I'm going with him. Okay. Um now I want to talk let's do you there's one particular moment that stands out for me and this huge trailer yeah or whatever you want to call it um the little baby thing crawls up the throat or whatever yeah 
and opens its mouth and a spaceship flies out of it. Yeah. And then you go inside the spaceship and for whatever reason, all the characters look blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, so that if that doesn't tell you anything about this game, like it's because it doesn't. But this is his, like this is what he does. I mean, okay, say what you Metal Gear Solid got off the rails sometimes, mm-hmm. but this is off the yeah. planet. Yeah. So I mean, I hit to me. His formula is do something weird, have like riddles and stuff in yeah. it to get, you know, curiosity, foster intrigue, mm-hmm. and give no answers, just mysteries, just more questions. Right. And then... Um, release the game? Release the game. But he, what he does with doing that is every time... Okay, first it's a code name, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's... The title, and then it has a subtitle later down yeah. the road. He's making a news beat every time he does yeah. that. The same outlets are going to talk about it like it's a new game. Yeah. You know, he's creating news beats, like artificially, with the same title. That's true, yeah. Because um, I think when he first unveiled it, it was just DS2. Right. Yeah. And now it's Death Stranding 2 on right. the beach. Right. And what does the title mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. See, exactly. That's... Yeah. It, that's You'll see that, like, everything he does, all this weird stuff that you're trying to figure out, just take the formula I gave you and apply it to that, and you will see how it works. I mean, is he even a good game designer? I mean, obviously he is. Of course he is. But, I mean, I think he might be a better marketer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Than he is a a game designer. Um, I mean, not to say that he's an incredible designer. Okay, be careful. I mean, (laughs) what I'm saying is he could be the greatest game designer ever. And he might also be the greatest game marketer ever. Yeah. I don't like, think he's the greatest game designer ever. He's among the best. Right. I mean, yeah, it's hard to give credit that credit to yeah, anyone. Right. But, I mean, I'm, he has people that would argue he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, religiously. Yeah, like, I follow Kojima on X. Yeah, like... It's... And when you... Anytime he posts something and you look at the comments, there are just so many people... I'm trying to put this in a PG way, but I mean it's hard to do. They are just like drooling over yeah, every word just, he says. Yeah, just you're such a visionary. Yeah, I mean he gets showered with that stuff all the time. It's no wonder why. Yeah, he's he's like really embraced that. Yeah, he he side. Yeah, well, I if you tell a man, a human man, that he's a genius. From every direction. Right. Every person he knows. Anywhere he goes. Anywhere he goes. Gets told he's a genius. What's going to happen to him? Yeah, he's going to believe it. Yeah, he's going to think, well, I must be actually really freaking special. Yeah. I must be like Nikola Tesla level, (laughs) you know, like, I must be bringing something really good. I mean, he is. He is, yeah. But, I mean, that's... Yeah. It's not his fault. No. It's and, not and even now, his fault. It's like now he's got like all the Hollywood attention on top of that. Yeah. And let's talk about that because right after yeah. Death Stranding 2. Yeah. Which was filled with Hollywood. Yeah. Let's be real. That, Famous actors. Yeah. That 15 okay, minute trailer. One thing I did see that was really, that caught my attention. There was a character in the trailer, this older looking man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I immediately recognized him as George Miller. 
Mm-hmm. The director of like all the Mad Max movies, yeah, yeah. Happy Feet, yeah. like, <laughs> and you got like two, you know, parts of that spectrum there. But uh, I was like, oh my god, that's George Miller. Mm-hmm. Why is George Miller in this game? But then I remember, oh, Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. was in the last game, just as a scan person, not yeah. as like providing voice or acting or anything. Yeah, right. But I thought that was kind of, I mean, I don't know, I'm kind of into that because I feel like a lot of times directors of things are not the ones being seen or celebrated right, right. you know well it's neither, always the actors neither game designers right right i mean kojima is a it, rare is exception. The, the exception and then far below him but still up really high is like neil Druckmann, maybe yeah um you have other rockstar game designers oh, yeah. like uh ken levine for example igarashi yeah, hasn't been particularly relevant yeah, in the yeah. last 15 There's years. There's that, but yeah. people recognize him. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so after Death Stranding 2, uh, a, a message or a, a recording appears on screen where Herman Holst, the president of PlayStation, uh, mm-hmm. the guy that took over Sean Layden's job. Um, or... Or yeah, I mean, um, he's not he's not Jim Ryan. He's not the CEO, but he's like the president of PlayStation. Okay, okay. Um, He uh, is there with Kojima, and they're announcing a new partnership, another game project. Uh, This partnership is being done not just with PlayStation, but also Sony Pictures. Um, It will be his first new action espionage game since Metal Gear Solid Five. So obviously this is exciting for people who are into Metal Gear games, mm-hmm. but maybe they kind of bounced off Death Stranding because it wasn't, you know, an action espionage game. Right. Um, so Kojima describes this as a as a game, but also a movie. Uh, and the announcement was specifically filmed and shown to be filmed at the Sony Pictures lot in Culver City here in California. Mm-hmm. Kojima says production will not begin in earnest until after Death Stranding 2 has been completed. And Death Stranding 2 is confirmed to not be a, a releasing until 2025. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. Part of me is kind of, as far as I'm concerned, this is kind of vaporware. Yeah, yeah I mean... It's like a very, very early announcement. Yeah. Knowing how long games take to make, this is probably five to seven years away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we ha- we know nothing about it other than that it's code name or well, this working is, again, title. And this is his methodology. <laughs> is Phizint. P-H-Y-S-I-N-T. Yeah. So, of course, people are going to be speculating physical, intelligence. You know, yeah. what could these what could right. these two parts of a word mean? Um so yeah, I mean it was it was weird. It's there's like this drone shot where they're like clearly inside like one of the studios at the lot, and then it pulls out and goes above the studio, and then you just see the Columbia Pictures logo, yeah. and then under that is like a banner that reads Fizz Int. Yeah. So I guess at some point in the last few weeks or maybe a month or two ago, when this shot was filmed, that banner was really hanging there. Yeah. People probably saw it not knowing what the what, heck is yeah, that. Right. Uh, but it turns out it was for Kojima's next game after Death Stranding 2. Yeah. And we should remind people that he announced a game in partnership with Xbox mm-hmm. last year at the Game Awards. Yep. So he's got a lot of That's things cooking all at, at least once. three. Yeah, three. Two projects in active development. Yeah. 
and one project I guess probably just pre-production yeah, at this just point. Scheduled. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're fleshing out maybe they'll start working on story. Yeah, this is probably in early alpha art design you know. phase. Yeah. Um and then at the end of the PlayStation present, or sorry, uh, I keep calling this the PlayStation <laughs> State of Play, uh PlayStation announced that there will be another State of Play on Tuesday, February 6th but entirely focused on Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Mm -hmm. So they've done these sometimes where they just focus on a single title. Nintendo does it all the time. Like Mario Wonder had a Nintendo Direct just for Mario Wonder last year. Um, So yeah, that's tomorrow. I'll definitely be checking it out. We'll see if there's anything really worth talking about for next week. But I imagine it's just kind of a big marketing push for the game. Yeah, they'll probably reveal something. Yeah, I mean, it might be something you don't want to watch because, yeah. um, I don't know, spoilers or whatever. Right. Um, it's rumored that there is going to be a demo dropping right after the state of play, okay. which I could see. I think there was a demo for Final Fantasy VII Remake as well. Yeah. So it makes oh, there sense there would be one for Rebirth. Yeah. Um, before we go, uh, there's been some late breaking news, and we'll have more on it next week, but... Uh, there's a big, big rumor with a lot of weight behind it going around that Xbox is going to start making all of their exclusive games non-exclusive. Mm-hmm. They'll be porting them over to PlayStation and Nintendo consoles when they can. Um, obviously, I don't think Nintendo's current console could handle no. Xbox's exclusives but, at the moment. I mean... Although, supposedly, uh, one of their kind of indie-ish games that they did put out last year, Hi-Fi Rush, oh, yeah. is going to be coming to Switch okay. this year. Um, there's been some... There's, like, t-shirts in that game uh, and that were, like, added in an update recently. And, like, two of the t-shirts, which are not accessible in the game right now, have, like, the perfect coloring for, like, the PlayStation console uh-huh. and, like, the Nintendo console. Oh, okay. So people are speculating there'll be, like, an exclusive T-shirt or whatever yeah. for each platform. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, so, the rumors got so loud that Xbox boss Phil Spencer uh, put out a tweet, I guess, I don't know what else you call it on X, um, saying that he's heard, all, he's he's hearing all the players and that they will have more to share on Xbox Future next week. Mm-hmm. So whether it happens before we record the next episode or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but clearly there is a big shift coming to Microsoft yeah, strategy. That, that's There's speculation on my part, as well as Rick's, that maybe you know they could be getting out of... Maybe, maybe the Series X and Series S are their last consoles. Or... They're legally they acquired way too hard, and they have some legal obligation to let yeah. go of some of their exclusive. There could be that. Know. It could also be that maybe sales have not been great, or they just see that if we sell this elsewhere, the amount of money we could make yeah, is right. too hard to ignore. Right. Um, like um, the exclusives just aren't driving growth. It's too well it's too hoped. early to say what it means or if it means anything long term. Like yeah. as a as a big shift yeah but it's definitely mind-boggling like yeah it makes you think something's coming like can i mean i this is like the i mean nothing's happened like this since sega yeah 
I mean, the Dreamcast flopped and Sega went third party, effectively. I mean, the Sega imploded. The Dreamcast didn't flop as hard as Sega imploded. Right. Japan, Sega Japan and Sega of America went to war against them, like right. each other, like themselves. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that would be the last time something this big. Like, right. Now, whether it means there's going to be another Xbox or not, who knows? Yeah. Um, but this is really interesting. Uh, and like almost earth shattering for the industry like because then like is there now pressure from sony and nintendo to to the because all these companies are public companies yeah yeah so if all of a sudden shareholders are like well microsoft is selling all their games everywhere yeah why aren't you guys selling all your games everywhere right like this could be so that would mean like mario on xbox zelda on xbox yeah which i know i have friends that would that want to play Nintendo games, but they don't because they don't have trophies and achievements. Yeah. So, like, this would, like, finally realize that dream for those people. Yeah. I mean, if that's what's holding you back from playing games... That's pretty bad. Yeah. Like, that's that's a bad <laughs> I mean, I get the appeal of trophies and, like, the collectible nature it's of them. It's literally, like, a dopamine pill. Yeah. With a big D on it. Like... It's, it's dopamine. Yeah. I mean, if I were to guess, if that did start, like, pressure and a trend from the major three, the first domino to fall is obviously Xbox. That's probably happening next yeah, week. Yeah, right. And then the second would probably be Sony. And I think Nintendo, Nintendo would Nintendo would hold on be, for, like, five more years. Yeah. They least. would be the most resistant to yeah. that ever. Yeah. To be oh, fair. Yeah. yeah. It could... It's weird. It's all... If this is true, and we should save this discussion for then, but... This would be like this is like almost like Xbox admitting they lost and like hey Sony we, you won. again uh, <laughs> that's only if that's what's going on we this this could very well not be Xbox getting out right I mean maybe not getting out but still like saying like hey we need your players money mm. we want your players money too or they just I mean there's no way that it's not selfish. With, yeah. You know, whatever it is. Um, but they could just want to have more of a tight-knit... All right, we know that Microsoft has, like, like mole investors in Nintendo and Sony. Right. So we know that they're they're trying to... I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what's going on with the yeah. industry. Like, they want to merge all as one giant company, Monopoly? I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And transmission. 